Good morning and welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and culture program of the African Sisters Media Network. We are going to be opening uh, the show today with a pre-recorded interview with Timothy Greenfield Sanders, directors of the marvelous film Toni Morrison's Pieces of That I Am, which opens today in Bay Area theaters. So we're going to start with the trailer, the official trailer, then go right into this interview that we had with him last week. So um, enjoy. Uh, let me let you know really quickly where the film is opening um, this weekend. Um, it is at AMC Bay Street in Emeryville, and it's at Landmark Embarcadero Center Cinema in San Francisco, and it's at Landmark's Albany Twin in Albany. So if you're in the Bay Area, that's where the film is screening, and you don't want to miss it. It's about 90 minutes of, oh, my goodness, it is just so wonderful, which you can tell <laughs> when he and I speak about it. So, uh, yeah, and then um, this particular interview is going to be followed by um, an interview with uh, Paul Strugglers, Director of Exhibition and Programming at Frameline uh, in San Francisco. Frameline, um, which is the uh, the largest, um, I guess, film festival of lesbian, gay, transgender, um, uh, queer film film in, I don't know, maybe the nation. I'm not sure, but the film festival is continuing, and so if you missed this interview, and uh, you still have time to see some more films uh, before this festival concludes, um, so I'm going to rebroadcast that interview. And if we have any other time, we'll have some surprises. So enjoy. Oh, I want, also want to let folks know that the um, uh, the uh, Queer Arts uh, National, 22nd National Queer Arts Festival is continuing. And um, this weekend, um, I think they have a, let's see, well, it looks like the festival Concluded? No, no, it doesn't. It hasn't concluded. No, wait, wait a second. <laughs> it looks like it might have ended. Um, but I know there's some there's some performances at the African American Art and Culture Complex this weekend. So um, yeah, um, and then the um, the 15th annual Trans March is on the 28th. Oh yeah, the Body Politic Political is. Um, is tonight at the African American Art and Culture Complex. Oh, there it is. The Crooked Room is um, um, this weekend, the 28th and 29th, which is um, tonight and tomorrow at the African American Art and Culture Complex. And then uh, San Francisco Pride is uh, this weekend. And this is also the uh, the 50th anniversary of um, of Stonewall, and the theme um, this year is Generations of Resistance, so that should be pretty awesome. Yeah, so so anyway, it's, uh, it's going to be a really fabulous weekend, and uh, yeah, you don't want to miss uh, Toni Morrison, The Pieces That I Am. And it's going to be actually um, on maybe next year um, as a part of the American Masters series, which is a really wonderful series on PBS. My grandfather bragged all the time that he had read the Bible, and it was illegal in his life to read. Ultimately, I knew that words have power. 
I wanted as many people who could hear my voice to understand the importance of her work. Get people to trust that, oh, this is something safe, and then, bam, hit them with Toni Morrison. One of the early reviews says she's got a great talent. One day, she won't limit it to only writing about black people. Like, really, it's limiting for her to write about black people? People began to buy Toni Morrison, and then we began to teach her, and as a consequence, they had to pay attention. You know, you're sick under the death of being labeled a black writer. I prefer it. Oh, I thought you probably were tired of it. Well, I'm tired of people asking the question. Oh, oh yeah, sure. I don't know where this woman's energy came from to raise two kids, to bring other people of color to the party, and also write these novels. Tony was an editor at Random House. Navigating a white male world was not threatening. It wasn't even interesting. I was more interesting than they were. And I wasn't afraid to show it. Suddenly, the canon wasn't the private property of white male writers. I'd thrown this book across the room and then walked down the steps laughing. Like, you read Tony and you cry, but you gotta laugh. Texas Bureau of Corrections banned Paradise because it might incite a riot. And I thought, how powerful is that? <laughs> when Toni Morrison published Beloved, it was an extraordinary turning point. We can never think about slavery in the same way. A friend of mine called me up early in the morning and said, Toni, you won the Nobel Prize. And I remember holding the phone thinking, she must be drunk. <laughs> Toni Morrison's work shows us through pain all the myriad ways we can come to love. That is what she does, with some words on a page. Hey, Timothy, how are you? I'm good. I think I was supposed to call you right around now, is that right? That's right, yeah, I was um, looking for a place in my apartment that was quiet. <laughs> I, I know that they're, they're doing some work upstairs. It's like, oh, no, this is not good. They didn't check with me first. Oh, man, your film is so marvelous. Oh, my goodness. Oh, thank you. Thank yeah, you it is. It's such a tribute, long overdue to this fabulous woman. Long overdue. I agree with you. And yeah. I'm so happy that Wow, it took you 40 years, right? <laughs> I mean, like, really? Yeah, 38. I mean, I met Tony in 1981. Yeah. I know, I know. I'm rounding yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah this is the 38th year. Mm-hmm. That's right. Amazing, right? Yeah, uh, totally amazing. And and I was just thinking as I was reading this really marvelous um, interview um, in the press package that um, – I don't know, like, were you put on this planet to do this? Because, I mean, the way that, um, you know, it's sort of like, you know, how you met her and, and, and you know, it, in the studio and you did such a great job on capturing her image and, you know, for people of African descent, you know, that spiritual thing around spirit living right, in image right. and for you to be able to, like, so I'm thinking, wow. And all and all those different various shots. That's your work. That's your stills. It's uh, Tony calls it strange things. Ah. Sometimes they sometimes they happen. <laughs> strange things that are unexplained. I guess maybe I was put here to do this film. Mhm. 
Yeah, yeah, wow, wow. Yeah, it's just it's just remarkable. And then I was wondering, I mean, her, you know, the way you, you tell this great story, and, you know, and I'm wondering about the title because there are so many aspects of her life that you could have zeroed in on, tone, you know, like, but but this is the story that you all tell. Well, the, you know, the title is a line from Beloved. Mm-hmm. And we were searching really for a subtitle, um, and when I saw that, it, it it all came together kind of perfectly because it it it, it relates to Nicolene Thomas's wonderful opening, where the pieces of Tony come together. It relates to the way Tony writes, in that she is, uh, you know, and it, it comes. It's not linear. She comes from many different directions, and it it also relates to the concept of the film, which is that these are the pieces of Toni Morrison, the mother, the single mother, the the editor, you know, the the teacher, and of course the great writer, the Nobel winner. Right, right. That's so true. You know, I think I'm gonna have to go sit in my car. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can can um I can hear you perfectly, but oh, by the way, you sound oh, perfect. Yeah. Oh, can you? Oh, I do. Oh, super, super. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. All right, because they're they're hammering upstairs. I don't know. I'm, do you... I'm not hearing. I'm not hearing any of that. You've got oh. Noise canceling something or other. It's working. Oh. Right. Oh, cool, cool. Okay, super. Well then, um, I'll stay here then. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> so I was just sort of like, um, sort of jotting down questions. I. I don't know. It was as I was watching the film um, last week. I um, I just took so many notes. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and well, it's, it's, you know, it's a really uh, dense film in that sense. Mm-hmm. There's so much to think about. You know, we we um, kind of lull you in because Tony is so lo- loving, really, in the film. You know, you love her. Mm-hmm. And I think that once you start to watch it, all of a sudden there's so many things to think about. Right. Yes, there are. There are. Um, I was wondering if you could uh, tell me about, you know, the tour, Toni Morrison that you know and um, and what pieces of her didn't make it into the film because, you know, we – I just love the, the – uh, uh, learning about her family and and their moving, you know, have her mother, right. you know, having to pick up the girls and and move, you know, to right. Ohio, right? Uh, the, the, right. Her grand her grandmother, yeah. Her grandmother, her right, right, yeah. yeah. And then her father sounds so powerful, like, oh my goodness, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those yeah. stories are like such so riveting, yeah. You know, she she wonderfully kind of contrasts her parents had a very vivid sense of their personalities. Mm-hmm. I think in the film she says, my mother took, looked at each person as an individual and she, she didn't look at color or anything. She just looked at them as like, you know, she, who they were and if they were a good person or not really. And her father was very, very strident and different, you know, but for good reason. I mean, he had come from some you know, place of horror and seen terrible things. Right, right. So definitely. And then I wonder if because her father was such a strong presence in her life and and I, you know, love the part, you know, where um 
you know, she, she talks about or you narrate how, um, what happened when her father passed and, and, and that effect on her life. I was wondering, um, it's not stated, but I wonder if this is why she was able to function in such a male-dominated um, uh, uh, you know, it's a really, yeah, it's a very interesting point you bring up, and I, it doesn't, you know, it's not specified in the film, but I know from knowing her and from hearing her talk that her father was a tremendous influence on her, and mm-hmm. also he believed in her, mm-hmm. and I think from a very, very early age, her father uh, adored her you know, and realized how brilliant she was. I think this was a man who really knew, you know, you kind of know which when your children are special in some way that they're exceptional. I think he knew she was exceptional. Uh, and and I think that probably stayed with her her whole life, that this strength that she got early on from him. Right, right, yeah. Um I'm happy you brought that up. Thank you. Uh, Sure, sure. Yeah, because, I mean, here's this woman smoking a pipe, and she's the (laughs) only woman, and all these men, and and, and some people might be like, whoa, all these powerful white men, you know, aren't you, like, lucky? And it was like, no, they're lucky to have me. (laughs) I was more interested than they were, she says. Right, right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, Yeah. and she just really holds her own and and claims her space and doesn't compromise. I mean, I love it, you know, that she was not about to take less pay, you know, for the same job. I think all all of the lessons that we try and teach today Mm -hmm. for women and for people – to kind of have their own uh, confidence where they are and to believe in themselves. She was doing, she was a pioneer. Mm-hmm. She was doing that when it was really hard. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, as a single mother of two, you know, yeah, two, yeah. two black, two black boys. That's like, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, how, um, I, I know you've been asked this question, so I'm gonna let you you say you answer it um, uh, again. I I was thinking about um, um, how how you um, you frame um, you know your subjects um, you know with your camera, um, both your steel camera yeah. and your um, uh, and your uh, your other your other lens um, film camera, the yeah. film camera, yeah. right, right, exactly, yeah. and it's real intentional. Um, you know, the way you shoot. And I was thinking about the, um, uh, the photographer whose, whose name escapes me right now, who, um, who did the portraits in I Dream a World, uh, camera, uh, calendar. I, I know the, I know, yes, I know the, I know the book, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. he, and he said when he was, um, when the, when he was, uh, on tour with the exhibit and the calendar, um, at the Oakland Museum, you know, that, he um you know he had his subjects he was looking up to them you know um mm-hmm. uh as opposed to down and and mm-hmm. um and and your your camera is really intentional as well and um and and i think um there's also a philosophical intent that comes through in the way you shoot um both um Morrison as well as you know the people that are um 
you know, speaking about her. And I was wondering if you could talk about about positioning and and, mm-hmm. and how that, and also around sort of like power dynamics within. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, I, I'm a kind of hyphenate. I'm a photographer and a filmmaker, yeah. and my photography is distinctive. I have a look that is really a simple backdrop and one light and uh, and a direct-to-camera gaze. And, you know, that is all purposeful because what I'm trying to do is focus on the person, not on my fancy lighting or not on some environment that they're in. But I'm trying to say, look at the, look at this person here and 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 look into his or her eyes. That's, that's kind of my intention. And I translate that look to film so that when you're looking at these interviews you're getting the the kind of the beauty of my portrait lighting but you're really focusing on that person and what i what i tried to do in this film was that you notice tony is the only one who's talking directly to camera the others are talking off camera they're they're talking about her but she's talking to us and that was uh, very, very conscious on my part. It was something I've never seen in the documentary where you combine those two. You either decide one way or the other, but you don't do both. But I felt that by letting Tony be the only one talking to camera, it also gives her agency and it makes it so it's Tony's story. She's the one looking at us. It, it, it becomes overwhelmingly clear that she's telling the story. Right. Yeah, yeah, it is really clear. It you know, it looks the whole work looks like she is directing it. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Which is, you know, which as a white male director, I'm very conscious of, you know, with my white male gaze and how I, you know, I surrounded myself with people who were able to kind of bring voices to the pr- production to the film. And at the same time, it you know, making sure that by shooting it the way I did, Tony is really telling her story. Mhm. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 You you um uh you write um and you talk about um your um your film series on identity, the black list, the Latino right, list, right. the trans list. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just wondering how like. This film is like a culmination of that move and, you know, that, that series and like, what could be after this? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, gosh, it's, at the moment, I'm not even thinking about what, what to do next. But when you look at this film and you see the 12 people in it. Yeah. I mean, they all deserve, they, all those other people deserve documentaries. Sonia Sanchez, my goodness, you know, mm-hmm. what a story mm-hmm. that is. And, and Walter Mosley and, and Angela Davis and, you know, Farron Griffin, all these people are remarkable. So, you know, there's, a, there's, there's so many great stories out there to tell, but, the Tony one was very personal to me because she's been such an influence on all of our lives, but on my life in particular. She, you know, she was the one that got the blacklist idea. Uh, she really it morphed from an idea that she had. So uh, you know, I give her credit for for that whole series. Really, it was based on an idea that Tony had. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I. 
I could kind of imagine um, just what it was like, you know, for you to do all of your setup and like having no assistance, you know, at this first first shoot. I'm like, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's funny. Someone said to me recently, they said, "Do you remember, you know, what she was like back then?" Because it's it's you know a hell of a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, I started thinking about it, and I said, I remember how confident she was. As a person, and that when you're a photographer, you're looking at the subject, you're trying to read the subject and feel like, is this person nervous? Do I make need to make him or her feel better? What do I need to do to uh, to to get trust from the subject? Mm-hmm. And I remember with Tony, she she walked in smoking a pipe. She was confident. She was you know she was clearly like, here we are, let's do it. You know, it was it was very. Uh, it was remarkable. I remember that very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, one other aspect, there are so many, um, um, is the art. Oh, my gosh. Like, oh my all God, the beautiful yeah. art. Yeah. You're like, okay, so, yeah. I mean, it's just amazing. <laughs> and, I, and then I just think about, you know, like, I recognize, you know, Charles White. Carol right. Walker, right. Carrie James Marshall, Jacob Lawrence. I'm like, right. and Jacob Lawrence is like, you know, the migration series when her family's moving. I'm like, wow, this yeah. is so great. The illustration, like, yeah. let the artist yeah. illustrate this, this, this story. Well, I never it's just so beautiful. Before. You know, I've never seen it in a film. Ah. It's, I, I always thought, like, why aren't we cutting to painting sometimes? Mm-hmm. It always cuts to a photo. Right. And, and I think that when you, that what we did here was so special because it brought 20 something African American artists work into the film, which was, which was wonderful. But it also, excuse me, it also was about a feeling that these images give, not just illustration, but they were giving you a mood and an understanding of what was being said. So when we, when, Sarah Griffin is saying, you know, there's a whole world out there that white people don't even know about, and we cut to the Carrie James Marshall pastimes painting. What could be a better image, you know, than that? That painting. It's just a flawless piece of filmmaking, in my, if I do say so myself. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, but I, but it was very, it was fun to do that to think like. And I, and I I have a long history, you know, in the art world. I photographed for 20 years the art world, and I, I, oh, I have okay. seven I have 700 portraits of artists and art dealers and critics in the art world. I have 700 portraits at the Museum of Modern Art oh. in their collection. So mm-hmm. you know, it's a very big part of my life. And I studied art history at Columbia, so okay. I know a lot about art, and mm-hmm. I know a lot of artists and. Many of them in the film are friends of mine, you know, uh, Kara Walker and mm-hmm. Lorna Simpson. And I actually photographed it, Jacob Lawrence, oh. uh, before he before he died. Oh, and, uh, wow. Yeah. Oh. So, so, you know, I have a kind of understanding of, of, of art and art history. And it, it really became a, a <clears throat> important part of the film. And it's why we had... Micheline Thomas there, you know, as well. Yeah, tell me about Micheline Thomas, um, uh, the collage, um, but yeah, just tell me about well, Micheline Thomas in general, yeah. and yeah. 
Well, Micheline Thomas is a very, very important contemporary artist, and I was I, she's one of the one of the artists I did not know personally. And I pulled an Oprah, you know, I just found her phone number somehow, and I called her, <laughs> and uh, I explained what we were doing, and she said, I'm in, you know, that quickly. And I think that was the reaction of almost everyone I reached out to. Um, really, it was everyone felt that way about Tony. And and Nicolene is is known for her collage work, so I thought there was a way for her to do some kind of piece for the opening based on my photographs we gave her oh gosh you know hundreds of images to play with and all every photo i would taken of tony and just said you know go to town on this and four months later <laughs> we were about to show the send the film to sundance to try and get into the festival and i called her and i said i need something really next by next week and it you know, she sent us a marvelous piece that we finessed into that opening that you see. Mm, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I remember um, um, when uh, Toni Morrison's son passed, um, you know, Slade, and um, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, the, the film, you know, is it's both personal and public, you know, yeah. uh, in in the way that it's um, that is choreographed, so to speak, and and I just love hearing from her friends because you could say that the people that are talking about her are really like they are like they're groupies, but they're also her friends. I mean, like yeah. you know, Oprah is just so dramatic, and Sonia Sanchez. Yeah. You know, when she starts crying, I start crying. It's like, oh, oh my God. Oh, and then Angela Davis, yeah. like, who knew that Toni Morrison yeah. was the reason why we have her autobiography at 28, like we think yeah. Angela yeah. Davis was really 28 at one point? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, look at what she was doing at 28. And then Muhammad Ali, oh, my oh, yeah, goodness. Yeah. Wow, yeah. wow, wow. Yeah, and Walter Mosley. I mean, they're all just sitting around at their kitchen table, just just sort of like just chopping it up, as they say. It is so <laughs> special. <laughs> it is. Uh, you know, they're, like what you said, they're kind of Tony Morrison groupies, but they're also her friends. You know, yes, very, yes. Very, they they understand the, 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 it was Paula Griffin said that about Tony, she means so much to us. Mm, yes. You know, yeah. and I love that line. Mhm. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And it was so funny, you know, to see my um uh my friend, uh my daughter's um uh colleague, they went to a California College of Arts and Crafts together. He got a master's, my daughter got a, a BFA. Um Hank Willis Thomas. I'm like, "Hank, you are oh, everywhere." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> His mother is a friend of mine. Deborah oh, yeah, yeah, yeah Deborah's wonderful. Very prominent. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you know her work, and yeah, she's fabulous. So yeah, uh, yeah, I love that piece of his too. And you know, isn't that sort of perfectly placed as well? Mm-hmm. That, that kind of image. I mean, what else would you go to? That's just a divine piece of art to to shoot there, to mm-hmm. show there. Right, right, yeah. And then you know Elizabeth Catlett. I mean, like you know, like you got like yeah. a who's who. I mean, some people are making their appearances. 
you know, as spiritual beings. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, definitely, you know, their their presence is like an ashe to to their work and their spirit and what they've done for our our people. Um, But it's also an ashe to Morrison, like, you know, tipping their hat. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. It is, and and it was intentional, and I'm hoping you're saying that. You know, I've watched the film many times with audiences, and Mm. certain audiences just really get it. And there's always someone in there who's whispering under her breath or his breath. It's always like Elizabeth Catlett. Charles White, you know, <laughs> the names of, of you know, all the arts, you know, mm-hmm. you know Carrie James Marshall or something like that. And, and it's, it, I love, I love that when that happens because you know it, it's they're part of the dialectic these these images. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, um, how 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 long you know did it take you to pull it all together? I mean, of course, thirty eight years, but um, <laughs> this particular, yeah. It's really about five years okay. from the time I first talked to Tony and mm. asked her if she would consider it, and and she didn't say no, which was a good sign. Right. And and then uh, finding the funding for it, and you know, assembling the team and and choosing the people to be in it, and and then you know, really two years of editing is an enormous amount of work researching mm. and. Yeah, finding all of this material in, in you know in high resolution and getting the licenses for it, all of that is just a tremendous amount of work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, um, how did you decide? Because I'm sure everyone you asked to talk about, uh, you know, Miss Morrison probably said yes. So, how did you end up with the select group of people? And um, and and I I was reading, you know, that you had a Peter Sellers. Um, really yeah. wonderful, um, yeah. yeah. And and um, when they when they did a tour with with that particular work, um, um, they they did a um, a symposia at uh, UC Berkeley, and and uh, and Toni Morrison was she was coming through through Skype, and and then Sellers wow. was in the, he was there as well as the um, uh, the African artist whose name is escaping me right now. Ah, I can kick myself. Yeah, I know who you mean. The the the, the lead of it. Yeah. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I was very careful not. I tried to to not interview anyone who wouldn't make it into the film. Oh. I think it's I think it's unfair to just interview lots of people when they give you their time and it they, their energy. Peter, I I feel such guilt for because. We have a fabulous piece on Shakespeare and Tony with Peter Sellers, and we pulled it because it was an easy seven minutes to pull out of the film. And I have it for the DVD extras and stuff. But, you know, uh, I tried to really just invite people who I knew I I would include in the film in some way. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Yeah, Desdemona, that was the name of it. I remember that. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. yeah, it was really yeah. amazing. And I was so excited, you know, when I thought she was going to be in the house cuz she comes yeah. to, she had come to the Bay Area cuz she's a friend of um of the uh Marcus Brooks founders um here. Oh. Yeah, wow. yeah, and and oh, so wow. she would come and do fundraisers for them um cuz wow. I think it's yeah, I think it's the oldest black bookstore here in, in Northern California. Um Right, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. Yeah, right. yeah. 
Oh, wow. I was trying to find, oh, Rokia Traore, that's her name. That's right. That's yeah, from Mali. Right. Yes. This, right. It was really, right. really phenomenal. Wow. Yeah, this, this you know, film is. And, 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 and it's interesting, it's just an aside in that little seven minute piece. Yes. We had asked many of the people who sat for us what their favorite Morrison book was or ah. piece by Morrison. Yes. And Angela Davis said Desdemona. Ah. And isn't that fascinating? Because, <laughs> you know, it was, uh, she said that when she saw the production, it was the most moving thing she'd ever seen in her whole life. Mm, mm-hmm. Wow. And yeah. that's, that's in the DVD extra. Like, you know, it was, I wish we could have put it in the film, but there is so much that we could, that other stuff that we had that we had to make decisions. You know, as a director, you've got to say, this is the length it's going to be. And, Mm-hmm. This is the this is the way it's going to be structured, and I don't think there's room for that mm-hmm. or this, this or that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a hard it's a hard uh, it's hard to make those choices. Yeah, yeah, and you know this this particular film, you know the um, the real the classic with with James um, Baldwin, you know that film that starts right, with right. his funeral, and yeah. um, and then we think about the more recent film on Maya Angelou. Um, that's such a classic. And this film is like one of those classics before it even hit. <laughs> it's just like. I, I love, I love hearing that. I have to tell you, I have to leave because I'm in a corner oh, and I'm okay. in a place where I have to do a radio interview. Oh, sure. So no problem. I have, to, I have to get off, but I love talking to you. You really got the film and you, uh, you, your, your knowledge, your background knowledge of all this other stuff is intense. So I'm very, impressed and and I thank you for doing this. Oh, you're quite welcome and thank you for making this film and I'm looking forward to seeing it in the cinema when it opens on the 28th and seeing it wonderful. as a part of American Masters, you know, that that yeah. that wonderful series that now your film is going to be one of its members of the canon. Congratulations. That's right. Thank you very much. And we hope people will go to the movies to see it because it really is an experience to see it in theaters. You know, it, it's special that way. Oh, certainly, certainly. Yeah, I'm going to get a party together. (laughs) Thank you so much. Oh, you're quite welcome. Have a good rest of the day. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. So that was uh, Timothy Greenfield Sanders, director of Toni Morrison, Pieces That I Am. Really, really wonderful film that you do not want to miss. Again, it opens in Bay Area theaters and probably nationally. So check your listings. And um, uh, I'm going to be uh, playing something other than what I told you I was going to play at the beginning <laughs> of the show. Uh, but however, if you want to hear this wonderful interview with uh, Paul Struthers, um, Director of Exhibition and Programming at Frameline 43, San Francisco International Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender, Queer, Plus Film Festival, which opened on the 20th of June and it continues through this Sunday. You can visit frameline.org and you can also um, uh, listen in the archives because it was a really great conversation and we talked about all of the greatest hits at the film festival and some of the ones that I was really interested in. And then um, in that same program, um, Cornelius Moore, uh, co-director at California Newsreel, joins us to talk about uh, special programming uh, Caribbean in Motion film series at MOAD, Museum of the African Diaspora, uh, in conjunction with the current exhibit, Coffee, Rum, Sugar, and Gold, a Post-Colonial Paradox. And I believe that starts on the 10th. Um, they're going to be um, 
consecutive um, every week. They're going to be there's going to be a screening, and um, that was a really wonderful conversation, as well as the conversation with in that particular program, which was uh, June 12th. Uh, Cheryl Patrice Derrick. No, yeah, I I, entered, I played a rebroadcast of Cheryl Patrice Derrick, but then we also who was a, a featured um, artist at Moab. She uh, presented her Ghost Ships, and uh, and then Andrea Chung, who is a presenting artist in the Moad current exhibit, Coffee, Rum, Sugar, and Gold, we had a great conversation as well because she paints in, she makes sculptures out of sugar. And, uh, <laughs> wow, it was just really wonderful talking to her. So we are going to end with um, a rebroadcast of um, Idris Atamore, um uh, and I don't know, I think Rodessa is, is uh, in the studio as well as Lyrica. And they were talking about Cultural Odyssey's 35th anniversary program. And that was uh, five years ago. This was uh, April uh, 2014. And so um, five years later, uh, June 2019, uh, the um, Idris, uh Akamor and the uh, the pyramids are on tour in Europe, so you can go to their website and find out where they are. So if you're in Europe, you could actually see them live. Um, but more recently, I saw um, Idris and Rodessa and Fifi as a part of the um, uh, California Lawyers in the Arts, uh, as well as the William James Foundation and the. Um, uh, California Arts Commission's um, annual, I guess, biannual um, Arts and Corrections Conference, which was at Santa Clara University um, Monday through today. Today, um, the conference continues and concludes at Alcatraz uh, at an exhibit there with workshops and things like that. So, um, so anyway, um, I just thought it was really cool um, to reflect on uh, Culture Odyssey on its 40th anniversary. Um, and, uh, of course, um, Rodessa Jones, uh, director of the Medea Project and co-founder of Culture Odyssey. Um, so anyway, uh, so I'm going to play that that particular show and um, enjoy. Um, yeah, I haven't listened to it in a long time, so it should be pretty cool. Um, <laughs> so we're going to start that right now. So, um, yeah, and um, enjoy your weekend. Uh, you can't go wrong, but definitely make sure you check out Toni Morrison, Pieces That I Am. <laughs> Look forward to uh, uh, continuing this conversation uh, at another edition of Wanda's Picks Wednesday, 8 o'clock. Peace and blessings. Ah, Wednesday is uh, July 3rd, and July 3rd um, at the Crane Way uh, in, in uh, Richmond, the Oakland East Bay Symphony, um, in collaboration with other arts groups, but it is the lead, lead uh, organizer, has a free, family-friendly concert and fireworks show. So definitely you want to check that out. And um, and if you want to know about other events, you know you can always visit WandasPicks.com. One minute. until showtime.
Hang in there. The interview does happen. <laughs> Yeah, 
Yeah, I think she, yeah, she's definitely. Are we on the air right now? Yeah, we are. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, she's supposed to join us. Um, okay. And, cool. Uh, Hopefully, yeah. um, she hasn't run into any snags. But like I said, it's been really crazy for the past mm-hmm, this morning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah so well, you know, sometimes that's technical. That technical stuff sometimes can really be a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we're not always in control. Well, we're not in control of everything. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, not that we ever yeah. are, but you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So you're a multi-instrumentalist, composer, tap dancer, actor, director, and producer, and you're founder and executive executive co-artistic director of Cultural Odyssey, and you curate and produce the Cultural Odyssey Performance Festival, and also you record and tour with your acclaimed jazz ensemble, The Pyramids, oh my goodness. And uh, so tell us a little bit about this this weekend coming up uh, next week. It's going to be really exciting. Tell us about... You know, sort of what it's going to be. You know, what you programmed you and Rodessa for this coming week weekend to celebrate 35 years. Yes, well, you know, we're going to be doing it uh, April 3rd, 4th, and 5th, mm-hmm. and it's going to be at the African American Art and Culture Complex that we all know is really centrally located right here in San Francisco, and the at the Burial Clay Theater, uh, which is 762 Fulton Street. Uh, right on the corner of Webster and Fulton, which is only about four or five blocks from San Francisco City Hall. So it's really centrally located. And um, it's going to be a kind of an extended program because we're going to start the the, um, the evening actually at 6 p.m. Normally, you know, we, we usually start at 8, but this for these three evenings it's going to start at 6 p.m. because we're going to be doing a sneak preview of the documentary Talk Back Out Loud. And it's a documentary that was shot, uh, actually this Japanese filmmaker followed Rodessa around and the Medea Project, Theater for Incarcerated Women. Uh, Kiori uh, followed Rodessa around for about three years, um, filming her, particularly her work she does with the HIV positive women. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so she, she filmed Redessa for those three years, and she's basically created a documentary that's now being uh, submitted to film festivals, and it has a showing right now at a theater, at a film theater in Tokyo, Japan. But we're going to show a sneak pre- we're going to do a show a sneak preview of it at six o'clock. Oh, that's great. That's really yeah. Great. Oh, that's going to be. So and fun. then uh, right after that, the. The, the, the Medea Project, Theater for Incarcerated Women, will be performing an excerpt from their planned parenthood collaboration, Birthright. Uh, Medea Project is, and Cultural Odyssey is collaborating with Planned Parenthood to really address these uh, issues regarding um, women's reproductive rights and the fact that it's so, it's just all over the news right now. I mean, it's, 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 there's such a kind of a war right now on women. From the from the from the new right and from the more conservative aspects of American society, so um, Redessa is going to be doing this piece with the Medea Project that's going to address all these issues. So they're going to perform from seven to seven thirty, and then there's going to be a talk back from seven thirty to about eight, uh, addressing what every what the audience members were able to see and and any questions that they wanted to to ask and. Uh, the audience members will also have a chance to sign up to work with the Media Project if they so choose. 
Then following that, um, Lyrica Holmes, who is this wonderful harpist and vocalist, we're bringing, we're bringing her out from Atlanta, Georgia, to really be the guest artist uh, for, the, for all three evenings. And, and Lyrica Holmes, actually, the wonderful thing about Lyrica is that she's my cousin. <laughs> of course, that's not the, the most wonderful. The most wonderful is she's a wonderful, talented artist, but it so happens to be that she is also my cousin, which uh, is a, uh, it's wonderful to be able to introduce a family member in this way uh, to the San Francisco audiences because she is really quite exceptional. And she's going to yes, perform. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she's going to perform solo and with the uh, members of the Healing Force, music as a healing force. Uh, of the Universe Community Orchestra, which is this orchestra that I've been building, and actually um, we've been performing for the last year. And she's going to perform with uh, vocalists such as uh, Cheryl Scales and Marissa, uh, Melinda Lopez, um, and Suze Azor. And uh, there will also be a rhythm, the rhythm section of Hashima Mark Williams, Bob Marshall, uh, uh, and of course, the uh, wonderful Kenneth Nash on percussions. So um, she's going to perform, and then that, then my band, The Pyramids, will also be performing, and we're going to close the show with the the, the whole orchestra performing uh, arrangements of some of my compositions. Wow! Wow, that's <laughs> yeah, so going to be a pretty yeah. <laughs> How do people get tickets? People can get tickets by. Um, Basically, call in the info line at uh, 415-292-1850. And they can also go to Cultural Odyssey's website, which is www.culturalodyssey.org, and you can order tickets right online. And I also wanted to, you know, if, if, if you ever do this, we, want, we have definitely pairs of tickets that at some point during your program We'd love for you, if, if someone calls in, that you could give away some pairs of tickets, particularly for Thursday and Friday night. Okay. All right. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, <clears throat> so folks, you hear that? Um, you know, please give us a call at area code three four seven two three seven four six one zero, and you can have a pair of tickets, or you mm-hmm. can, you know, blog your request. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, that'd yeah. be so cool. So, Idris, tell us about um, how, I mean, just the name Cultural Odyssey, it's, it sounds like a process. Uh, how did you come up with the name of this ensemble, and how did you, um, you know, like you're from Chicago, and, you know, that's that's a fabulous history that you've shared with us on air. Why don't you, you know, tell us a little bit about, you know, sort of your your walk and, and, and this, this vision that you've had and and how you teamed up with Rodessa, and then together, you know, now you're looking at 35 years of just making this beautiful art and, and having this, you know, the Healing Force Orchestra. I mean, like, the Healing Force. I mean, Culture Odyssey, the Pyramids, Medea <laughs> 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 Project Theater for Incarcerated Women, and then right now at African American Shakespeare Company, they're performing Medea. <laughs> You know, it's like so. Medea is ending this weekend, and then you, you know, you have your uh, your celebration next weekend. Uh, You talk about you know sort of this this transformative vision that you've had, you know, using the arts as the key vehicle for this change. 
Well, you know, I did. Uh, yes, I, I grew up. I'm a product of the south side of Chicago. And I grew up, you know, I'm the ch- a child of, I guess, the I'm a child of the 60s. You know, I think the, 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 the 60s decade was one of the most, I think, influential decades of the whole 20th century in many ways. Um, I'm not just saying that because I mean, I, I, that's the main, that's the decade that I really remember and participated in. But, you know, the 60s was like, in terms of the civil rights struggle, in terms of so much, it was a very, very colorful decade. And, you know, I, I graduated from high school, actually, in, in, in one of the most important years of that decade, which is 1968. And, of course, 1968 was the year that Martin Luther King was, was assassinated. Uh, it was the year that uh, Robert Kennedy was assassinated. Uh, it was also the year of the Democratic National Con- Convention, which was in Chicago. <laughs> so it was a confluence of all these uh, these elements. But, you know, even in the, 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 um, the earlier part of the 60s, you know, I can remember, like my mother was really, in, was really very much involved in the civil rights struggle, and particularly in the struggle in Chicago uh, that was that was taking place, because um, when I was going to school in, in grammar school, Chicago public schools, black black children in Chicago public schools were going to these overcrowded. We had this thing called double shift. Have you ever heard of anything called double shift? Mm-hmm, yeah, I sure have. Mm-hmm. They're doing it okay, again. Double now. shift. <laughs> the, the double shift in Chicago was uh, uh, at, at these overcrowded schools. Black children had to go on, you know, uh, were, had to go on shift to, to have their education. Basically, meaning that half of the, like from eight to twelve, one half of the school would go to school, and then from twelve to four, the other half. So that basically mean that black uh, meant that black children. Uh, only received really half of an education. And my mother protested this. And uh, for her, pro, for, for she had, like, she organized this one-day stay home for the parents, so that the, for the parents' children, so the parents would keep their kids home out of school for a day as a protest. And because of that, she was fired from her job uh, as a teacher in the in Chicago public schools. So, I mean, that was the kind of the, the backdrop uh, episodes like that um, uh, that I really remember growing up in Chicago, you know. You know, so I had that 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 early, you know, kind of organizational. Chicago is a very organizational town. I mean, very hardworking, and because it was so, in many ways, it was very, it could be very uh, it could be very oppressive uh, for black people on the South Side. In order to cope with that oppression, you really had to organize yourself to 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 deal with it. So, you know, uh, I'm a part of that work ethic from Chicago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So your mother was a school teacher. Yes, she actually she was a school teacher. All of all of her that's what she did as a living until she retired, and you know, so she's uh, she she actually she passed uh, in in the mid '90s, but she. Um, uh, she was a, a real educator all her life. Yeah. So her being a school teacher, that was kind of um, that was not something that that our community took for granted at that time, right? Having a black woman as a you know working in the public school system. Well, you know, it was that she was part of that first 
first wave of professional uh, black women. You know, she she you know, she um, she went to she graduated from the University of uh, Pennsylvania. So I mean, that was around that same time. You know that you know black black people were just starting to you know make these a lot of these major steps in terms of you know graduates and professional uh, teachers and things of that nature. You know, all up until that time, and you know, during the 30s and the 40s and all that, it was you know that was some of the hard, harshest times uh, for black people trying to get you know jobs and the uh, Jim Crow and all that. So yeah, she was she was a little ahead of her time. Mhm. Right. Yeah. 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 Ah. So so talk about you know sort of the arts influence. Um, you know, where did your mother was your mother also an artist? Um, did you have folks like that in your family? Because you are like sort of an all around you know artist, and and you actually studied that you know academically. So I was wondering, like, where does that come from? And then also, you know, being um, a product of Chicago, I mean, there's a lot of art happening there, you know, uh, sort of art that influenced sort of direction of this this country musically and, and also, you know, definitely impacted the world. Yeah, well, you know, I I always remember that in our living room, we always had a piano, this, real, this uh, mm-hmm. small spinet upright piano. And my mother, there was no really, uh, in my uh, immediate family, there were no professional musicians, but my mother played, you know, played piano because she would play a little piano for her her kids uh, that she was teaching, you know, to sing certain songs and to accompany them uh, uh, while they were, like, you know, um, singing and stuff. So she really had a little basic understanding of, of piano and piano playing, just on on the basic, on you know, being able to read uh, you know songs and things like that. So the, and uh, my parents, my both my mother and father were very uh, instrumental in uh, having all of their kids take music lessons from a very early age. So I started studying, you know, music uh, and taking classes and, and lessons from the time I was about seven or eight years old. So basically, uh, I've been I've been studying and playing music my whole life. Uh, except for, you know, maybe a period of two or three years where I kind of uh, got really involved in playing basketball. That's what the, 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 the uh, years of high school, you know, I kind of, you know, I had, I had like almost five to seven or eight years under my belt playing music, and then I got to high school, and I kind of just, you know, did a lot, a lot, uh, did a lot of the stuff that, you know, teenagers did at that time. I just really wanted to play basketball. I kind of, re- I rebelled, and I really didn't want to go to music lessons, <laughs> you know, I just wanted to play basketball. I wanted to, you know, that was also the time of Motown and, you know, the the the, uh, the uh, Marvelettes and the Smokey Robinson and the Miracles and the Temptations and, you know, Supremes. All that was happening, and how could you not dance and move to that music, mm-hmm. you know? And so we were playing all these parties, so, you know, parties and going to parties and stuff. So uh, I picked my instrument. Once I graduated, that's when I got back into my instrument as, uh, uh, again. And but you know so I kind of consider myself like a, to be a little bit like a, an artistic being. It's kind of music is all all in me, you know. It's, it's I it's just a part of my being. And so um, once that I actually uh, got a chance to study it in college, I I just furthered my musical studies at at Antioch College. And I under I basically um, uh, majored in music composition and performance. 
and that's where I really got my uh, main, some of my main experience at Antioch College in Yellow Springs, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that seemed like a real um, sort of place where a lot of innovation was taking place, Antioch. Absolutely. Antioch was like a, one of your uh, really experimental schools. Uh, they had an experimental curriculum. They, you know, first of all, they, didn't, they had no they had no grades, so they had one of the schools that all you could do is get a credit or no credit, mm-hmm. you know, for classes. And of course, you'd get a you could get a you, they would write you know you get a, like a written uh, analysis of of, of your uh, abilities and of, of what you did during the class. But they they did away with the cl- the ranking, <laughs> the the numerical or the the uh, alphabetical ranking system. There was no A's or B's or C's or F's. The other thing that they did there, there were no sports. <laughs> you know, me being, of course, I had been a basketball player, but I had finally, I finally got away from basketball. Uh, and there were no sports at all. There were no fraternities. And they had this a program called, what they called it, it was cooperative education, meaning half of the time you would um, study at Antioch, and the other half they would place you on a co-op, which was sometimes in a whole other city. It would be mostly would be in another city. It could be in D.C. or L.A. or Chicago or wherever their program had jobs for students. Mm-hmm. So I had some some pretty incredible jobs uh, as a part of my of my uh, education. You know where I would go out for a whole quarter, and I would work at a, a you know and be paid a you know, you know, a, a fee that was, you know, a, a kind of a small fee, but it was at least it was, you know, uh, you'd get paid for your work as well. Mhm. Wow. So, where what kind of jobs did you have? Were they related to what you were studying? Sometimes they were. Other times they were just to get experience and 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 just to get work related experience. Uh, an example is, you know, for my first co-op, I kind of wanted to go back to Chicago actually because. I had connected with this very phenomenal, uh, legendary uh, uh, saxophone instructor. His name was Clifford King, and I was uh, I was studying with him like very regularly. And I wanted to I, I wanted to go back and have one more quarter where I would I would continue to study with Clifford. So um, since they had a co-op in Chicago, I had this very interesting job where I was the assistant to this very famous black lawyer on the, uh, at that time. His name was Kermit Coleman. I'll never forget his name. Or, and Kermit worked for the, uh, the actually, the ACLUs. Uh, the ACLU had this program called the Ghetto Project. And the Ghetto Project, he was ahead, Kermit was ahead of the Ghetto Project, which was Kermit would represent any black citizen that was um, a victim of police brutality. And Kermit would would uh, represent him free of charge, and defend him. And so uh, I was actually I was uh, Kermit's assistant, and my job was to discern whether this alleged police brutality was either was actually police brutality, or was it something that the uh, the, the the person brought on themselves, and they were just claiming that it was police brutality. So and one of at that at the time I was there Kermit one of the one of Kermit's main cases was Kermit was the uh, lawyer for Mark Clark and Fred Hampton, uh, the 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 Panthers that were killed by the Chicago Police Department 
while basically while they slept. They were assassinated while they slept. And Kermit was their uh, lawyer. Hmm. So that was an amazing, amazing job opportunity. You know, I was I was able to really see, check out Kermit while he was doing all of this. So that was a three-month co-op. Wow. Wow. That's, yeah. that's awesome. That's really awesome. Yeah, yeah I, I think Larika is uh, joining us now. Larika Holmes, is that you? Uh, yes, it is. Oh. Yes, it is. <laughs> good morning, Larika. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I'm fine. Say hello to um, uh, your is that your cousin or your niece? Yeah, yes. cousin. Itchy. Yes. Hey, Larry, hello. Eric, how are you I've doing? been listening to you. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. <laughs> I'm gonna call Rodessa while y'all talk a little bit and make sure to see if I can get her on the line. Okay. Oh, okay. okay. Sounds okay. good. Oh, yeah. That sounds good. Awesome. <laughs> Yeah, so Larika, it's so it's so exciting Lisa. that you're visiting us. Um, is this your first time uh, coming out to uh, San Francisco to perform professionally? Yes, um, it's my first time to San Francisco uh, performing, um, and I've always been um, trying to get to San Francisco, but I, I just hadn't had the opportunity, and I'm just so excited to be able to be there. I know that's one of the locations we were thinking of moving at one point in time, and still maybe considering moving out there, so. Oh my! Wow. Yeah. When when I when I realized that you play the harp, it's like wow, two mm-hmm. harpists. I mean, Destiny uh, Muhammad is is love know, Destiny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, she's awesome. You, yeah. Wow. Yeah. This is really great. Um, tell our audience a little bit about you. Um, it's the internationally internationally uh, performing artist Larika Holmes, African American oh. recording artist, singer, harpist, songwriter, and teacher. Uh, she was born and raised by her parents and by her parents in St. Louis, Missouri, and she started playing the piano at an age of uh, set of five. And it was really funny. Mm-hmm. Idris was saying that he started playing piano at seven. Yeah, <laughs> must be something about your family, you know, getting you all, yeah. you know, sort of musically indoctrinated when you're really young. <laughs> Definitely, they got us started really early. <laughs> yeah, and then in junior high school, your parents encouraged you to step out of the box and play something different, and that's when you switched mm-hmm. to harp. And yeah. since then, I mean, the way you play the harp is so accessible. I mean, you've got rap and harp happening at the same <laughs> in the same musical composition. <laughs> it's like wow. It's like and you're singing love songs. I mean, it's real contemporary R and B. And then it's like that's a harpist playing there. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. And that's that's the thing. A lot of people, when they look, they you know they expect when they see harp, and they're like, oh, lyrica. Okay, well you're gonna. They they expect me to come out and um, play, you know, Pachelbel's Canindy, or they're expecting you know some other classical piece, or you know, or they say, oh, you know, they always immediately compare me to Jeff Majors, and you know, and then when I come out and I end up doing you know contemporary pieces or even electronic dance music or something like that, they say, oh, we didn't know the harp could do that. So it's exciting. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. you know, you're classically trained, so you do know those other other pieces. Uh, you have Definitely. a bachelor's in mm-hmm. music education, um, mm-hmm. from the University of is it University of Memphis at St. Louis? Is that what that means? You oh, know? oh, uh, no. You of M. My undergrad I got from the University of Missouri St. Louis. Cause, yeah, okay. And then my master's came from uh, University of Memphis. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and you um. 
Let's see, you've done quite a few different things. Uh, <laughs> you've <laughs> performed um, uh, for numerous events and occasions around the world, including your recent excursion to Shanghai, China. You tell us about that. Mm-hmm. And you yes, shared oh the stage God. with many artists such as Aretha Franklin. Aretha Franklin, oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Howard Hewitt, <laughs> uh, Paul and Michelle, to name a few. Mm-hmm. You can name. You can draw some other names you like. Uh, <laughs> and recently, R&B artist Joe, uh, Lara, um, Isabor, okay. Phil Perry, yeah. Miles J, mm-hmm. and Carrie Hilson. I don't know any of them. You have to tell me who they are. Oh, uh, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> and and then um, yeah, and you you teach uh, online uh, in a. Um, I do. Yeah, yeah. Um, that sounds really interesting. So, so oh, tell us a little bit more about yourself. You can start with the dropping names if you like. Um, yeah. <laughs> you can tell us like about, you know, recording oh, yeah. music, you know, any any mm-hmm. recent projects. You mentioned you sent me um, uh, some music, and one of them is uh, is a new piece. Yeah. And, and we're definitely yeah. going to play that. Yeah. So tell us, tell us something uh, about yourself okay. and what you plan on bringing to San Francisco next week. Okay. Well, um, I, I, I hate to like to name drop. You know, I'll, I'll name a couple of people. You know, every once in a while. <laughs> but you know, we try to keep it a surprise until the projects come out. Um, but I, I know with the the piece that you're going to play, um, Blackbird Reloaded, we we um, recorded that one here um, with Jimmy Lefevre and uh, who's a you know a member of GMIA, which is the Georgia Music Industry Association. So we've been um, working closely with them as far as getting the piece created. Um, it features rap artist um, Rick Flo. Awesome, awesome. He's he's uh, coined the beat snatcher. So. <laughs> And you'll be able to hear it when you you know when you hear him in the song, um, but that's one of the pieces that's getting ready to drop. I would say in May we're working on the video at this point, so we want to kind of you know put put them out um, as close together as possible. But um, I would say as far as what I'm bringing to the bay is a little mix. Um, I'm kind of out of the box with what styles um, I perform. I love R&B. I love electronic dance music. Um, I do some pop. Um, jazz is in me because it comes from my family and everybody on my father's side. So I always try to incorporate jazz and um, as well as classical. So a little bit of this and a little bit of that, you know, and I'm just excited to be able to share it out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how was it, you know, picking up the harp? Um, you know, you were, I mean, <laughs> piano is, is a string instrument as well, you know, as well as percussive. Mm-hmm. So I, it wasn't, mm-hmm. it wasn't, like I'm sure, a huge shift, but they look differently. <laughs> and you, yep. you oh, can't yeah, carry the piano with you. You can carry your harp. You know, it's, it's big, but you know, right. you can carry it. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about just the harp. I mean, because angels play the harp, right? And and oh, your name is Lyrica. How how did I mean, your parents name you this name? That's like so musical. I mean, you, you oh. feel like you were sort of destined um, <clears throat> to to be an artist. <laughs> well, I, I tell you this. My parents, um, they gave me the birth name of Erica. And then when um, I got more into music and as far as writing my own songs and I got to the point where um, I was playing the harp and singing and doing things like that, my parents were very instrumental with my producer, and they worked together to create my name, 
um, Lyrica Holmes. And since that time, I've I've um, taken that on and I've kept that since then. But I I played the piano for a while and then I went to double bass, string double, you know, the upright bass. And my yeah. teacher ended up being out for a while. And so my parents said, like, well, you're going to continue doing something. You know, we're going to choose something for you. And so they chose harp. So I was like, no, in the beginning because, you know, <laughs> I was the only one who was, you know, I had to carry it on the bus and, you know, the uh, students were mad because I was blocking all of the, you know, blocking the pathways to the back of the bus. And, you know, just it was it was so hectic growing up with it. But, you know, I'm just fortunate that, that my parents were smart enough and they already knew what I needed to be doing and that I had um, very influential and supportive teachers um, who trained me and continue to stay with me, you know, even throughout my college career. Because my high school um, last harp teacher, which was Maria Pinkney, they hired her from they took her from the high school and, and hired hired her at my university so that she can continue teaching me even when I was working on my degrees. Wow, that's so supportive. <laughs> so they they hired yeah. a teacher for you. Well, what, that's oh. awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What a great educational mm-hmm. system. Does that oh, still yes, exist? Like that they would do that? Um. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> And hey, let me know. jump in I'm right here, blessed. Wanda. Yeah. Yes. Wanda, can you hear me? Yes. Uh yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah I just jump in because you know one of the things that it was very interesting <laughs> because you know my part of my talking about growing up for me growing up in Chicago. Well, mm-hmm. Chicago and St. Louis is a little bit like San Francisco and, and Los Angeles. It's almost about the same amount of time to go to drive from Chicago oh. to St. Louis. The same uh-huh. time to go from uh, San Francisco to L.A. So, a lot of my summers. That's where my my parents we we that's where we would go for summer vacation. Uh, my mother was off teaching. Uh, um, from, she was off from teaching school, and my father would take his one or two weeks from the post office, and we would drive that four about five hours down to St. Louis, and we would definitely go to uh, my uh, you know my aunt my great aunt uh, my, what I call her Aunt Wee Wee to her mm-hmm. to her house, and uh, her her daughter was my aunt Marcella. And um, and so that was was the house that had this huge house. I never forget. It was on mm-hmm. Bartner Avenue, and uh, it was big. It was like three or four. It was just it was just a it seemed like it was, I remember it was a humongous kind of house. But um, uh, it was. Uh, they also had a piano downstairs in the living room. And Marty, we call him Marty. Marty's mm-hmm. uh, sons were uh, were Billy Ball, Kenny Ball, mm-hmm. and uh, Almeida. With her daughter, and uh-huh. Kenny, when I was when I would go down there, Kenny, I was, I'd be going down. I'd be about I was maybe sixteen or fifteen, and Kenny was like sixteen and seventeen, and I guess Billy was a couple of years older than Kenny was. Was he was about a couple of years older, Lyrica? Yeah, just a couple. Just a couple, and mm-hmm. so and then what, what I didn't realize was that well what, what I what I found when I got down there is that Kenny had the the most uh, hot R and B band in St. Louis. I mean, he had this band that was like just, uh, all I remember is that it was hot. I mean, it, you know, he was like he was like 16, 15 or 16, and he was playing alto saxophone, so they had the, hot, the hottest jumping band in St. Louis, playing for a lot of dance concerts and all that. So that's what I remember when I would go down to, the, you know, my cousin's house, and then Kenny would like, you know, show me a couple of things on the saxophone, and I'll never forget, he, he actually... Taught me how to play Spooky, which is this uh, kind of a classic um, song that, that you know saxophone players were playing. And um, 
but I would tag along with him, and I'd go around to some of the the bands, of some of the, sh- the shows the band uh, would do, and that was just such a, a an amazing time um, for, for me remembering a lot of that, and even to this day, Kenny is now uh, a, a piano tuner. Mm-hmm. You know, and he plays drums, and he plays, still plays some saxophone. So Kenny is still uh, very much involved, living in St. Louis. I think he lives on that same block, doesn't he, uh, Lyric? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. <laughs> so, yeah, he, so. he was, yeah, uh, he's living in that same house too. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. Mm, the musical house. I think this this might be Rodessa. Let me see. Good morning, Rodessa. Hey, yeah, Rodessa. Good morning. Good Hello, morning. how are you? I'm good. good. How are you? I'm so fine. So, Larissa and uh, Idris, say hi to Rodessa. Hey, Rodessa. How are you? Uh-oh. Hey, Larissa. Hello. It's nice to have you aboard for this this adventure. How are you, Larissa? I'm great. How are you? I'm fine. I'm here in Wisconsin. The skies are kind of uh, gray, but there isn't any more snow. So, um, yeah, uh, there's no, they say it's going to be a warm weekend, but uh, yes, Mm -hmm. I'm here, but I'm looking forward to coming home, flying in Wednesday for the, for a big uh, gala, and uh, I know it's going to be a lot of fun, yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, that's congratulations on the movie. So, um, Redessa Jones is a artistic, uh, a co-artistic director of, um, Cultural Odyssey and um, artistic direct, a founder and director of Medea Project Theater for Incarcerated Women, and now mm-hmm. she and she travels around the world and she has a residency where she's calling us from, <laughs> where it's cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um, and you also you tour and speak to Theater for the 21st Century Art, which p- participates community transformation. I wonder if you could talk a little bit, Rodessa, about this 35th anniversary uh, festival. Congratulations. Well, you know, it's always uh, time is the dictator. And, you know, I I look up and I go, oh, my God, it's been 35 years. And, uh, (laughs) you know, uh, and uh, Egypt and I have just been so fortunate to just – still be in the game, being influential, and even though I looked up and time had passed, I thought, wow, and I know that EGs will be holding it down until I get home. My God, I met EGs, what was it, EGs, 1982, was it? 1979. 79, and, you know, and I always tell people that, my father had just died, and uh, and I feel like EG's, he sent EGs to me. It was like it was his way of like sort of uh, giving me guidance because my father was my favorite guy. And uh, as I'm listening, I was listening to you all talk about uh, Kenny and St. Louis, and I just realized that how my dad and uh, you know the the veil, the, you know the door to eternity swings both ways, and I feel like my father really uh, set this thing up constantly so Ichi Sakamore and I would be here 35 years later celebrating all of the all of the adventures that we've had and all the things that we have been able to witness together as artists and also to be uh, so influential uh, going on, in particular with um, the African American community, but in general with arts in America. I'm very proud to, uh, to stand next to him and, uh, you know, and uh, then the film coming out of Japan, a Japanese filmmaker, 
finding her way to working with with uh, the Medea Project and Cultural Odyssey to um, to co- to continually document our efforts and our our um, our in our, our um, uh, explorations, uh, looking at art for everybody. You know, my one of my questions always is is like, who do we make art for? And uh, Idris and I have been really graced and blessed and uh, lauded for. Our, uh, our, our kind of, we're, you know, we've been very brave, you know. Uh, <laughs> he and I have, have done all kinds of things, the two of us, you know. I mean, as we're talking, I'm thinking about uh, our first trip to Europe when the two of us just kind of rocked, uh, rocked Germany. The, you know, we were in Austria and uh, with this duet that, that uh, people were trying to figure out, well, who are these crazy Americans and uh we were like, we're performance music, you know, which meant that we, we did storytelling, we did music, we did, uh, of course, a lot of political theater, and uh, and set this precedent in a lot of ways for uh, a new way of blacks performing in Europe, you know, telling our story, celebrating jazz and jazz history, and also um, uh, uh, coupling, you know, just being one of those couples like, uh, you know, like uh, uh, Matt Roach and Abby Lincoln, like uh, Ella Fitzgerald and Chick Webb, you know, we were all that. As a, as a musician here in uh, Wisconsin who is so excited about our, our 35th anniversary, and he, he was saying to me the other evening, he was saying, oh, you guys really did it. You just hung in there. And um, and now it's like this is what you did with your lives, which is I'm, I'm so grateful. And I'm looking forward to what the Medea Project will to the celebration, what uh, having Lyrica, you know, uh, here in, in in San Francisco, doing her work and and performing with us, and of course Idris's um, uh, Healing Force Orchestra, you know. So it's going to be a great time, and uh, you know I'm going to fly in for this, and I have to fly back here to finish this <laughs> residency with my students here. So I'm rolling. Wow. Yeah. And then I and then I fly out. I'll fly out. I'll fly out in. Um, in May to join Redessa uh, when they oh. do the they do a, they're going to do a culminating concert a culminating performance of, mm-hmm. of Redessa's residency and I'll I'll fly out and I'll do the music and work with the students as well but I wanted to also see how you know a lot of times this is like a, it's a 360 degrees how everything kind of connects and speaking mm-hmm. about Lyrica and St Louis uh, it was funny because Redessa was actually at the home on Bartner Avenue because oh. we were coming, we were on our way to Chicago. This was, I think, in about 80, no, this was early, uh, mid, uh, about early, mid early 90s. 80s. No, it was yeah. mid 90s. This was the 90s. Okay. Anyway, we we um, we were driving and uh, to Chicago, but we stopped off in St. Louis at at uh, at, at the Bartmer house on Bartmer, and mm-hmm. my aunt Wee Wee. Told oh. me told me this uh, story about um, about basically my great great grandmother Grandma Cole, and she told Redessa the story that we were there and, and um, Aunt we we heard she was she must have been like ninety then or something I don't know exactly yeah how, she but, was fantastic fantastic yeah. mind and historian for the family yeah mm-hmm. yeah. And and the, Tell her what this what the story. Tell her the story. Well, it was uh, she told me about uh, an ancestor, an elder, uh, um, Grandma Cole, who was like the, I, I think the great 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 grandmother 
in Idris's family and uh, about her crossing over from Africa. And, you know, what's so rich about this story is that in all of our families, there is this lore that we have that we should that I, we should pass on, and this is and I and I was privy to uh, being outside, uh, uh, walking around the backyard with uh, uh, cousin Wee Wee, and she was telling me, uh, she was relaying the story to me. Here we are, like 400 years later or something, and she's telling me about how uh, Grandma Cole had come over as a little girl on this ship from Africa and had uh, become mesmerized by all these Guinea hens that were. Were in were encaged on the ship, and she she let the coal release them, and uh, the birds flew off, and uh, she suffered, you know, she suffered incredibly at the hands of the the slavers and the sailors, and uh, but the other side is that uh, there's a magnificent family, you know, you know, Idris's family has survived to this day, and that was like a part of the journey, and it was a woman's story, and I was just so. Moved that I was able to hear it from this amazingly powerful ancient woman. I mean, when she spoke, it was like a stone speaking, and at the same time, it was her, her voice was so measured, and it was like it just it took me back there. So uh, I don't know how much longer after that, Egypt, that I actually wrote it down, uh, and mm-hmm. it's become a part of Cultural Odyssey's greatest hits. It's the Grandma Cole story, and uh, wow. Wanda, if you saw she. It was how I yeah. began. Yeah, that was that oh. is uh, that is from their family archives. That story, that is a true story, you know, uh, of um, our deliverance. You know, uh, uh, we, uh, you know, as African Americans, um, here was another uh, uh, piece of history to share with our children, and which brings us all the way back to Lyrica being being with us and. And the, 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 if you look at the the, the bakers that that the fam the Idris's family, which I know fairly well, I love it that they all have these big, wide, clear eyes, you know. And then mm-hmm. they're they're musicians, you know. They're mm-hmm. they're musicians, which is which is so magical because it is. Um, I'm reading. I just fell in love all over again with Nikki Giovanni, and she talks about how musicians are the ones that we would want to hang out with. Musicians are the ones that. That, that tell the story in such a clear and crystal way that it can do nothing more than open our hearts. And so coming to San Francisco for the 35th anniversary is a heart opening for me, and I hope for all of our fans and our friends and our family who has been there to support us and to follow us. So I'm looking forward to having a good old time, and that's going to be great food, as always, because uh, Culturality throws down. Saturday night will be a gala with uh, peasant sheets. The food will be a lot and it'll be rich and delicious mm. <laughs> yeah and uh Yum. we're gonna we're gonna rock and roll to the broad daylight <laughs> yeah yeah yes. wow wow how awesome <laughs> uh, i have a, a, another question for you um rodessa and then um yeah i want you to tell us about uh about china um uh, Rodessa, so tell us what you're doing there, because Idris mentioned that he's going to be flying out uh, to Wisconsin for um, a closing, what, performance? So I was wondering, yes, I, are you um, doing theater right now with the students, and then they do a performance at the end? Yeah, we're building a work together. Uh, I created a class entitled uh, Forward Motion uh, Narratives for the 21st Century. 
and it's really about getting young people to share with me what are they what are they talking about what what are their concerns these are the people that are going to be you know taking care of of us, you know, in another 20, 30 years, they will be making decisions. They will be the ones who will be passing the laws. And, and I'm, so I'm curious as to what they see as important. And so we're examining uh, uh, something called the, uh, food deserts. And food deserts uh, are simply uh, like, for example, Detroit. And uh, Detroit doesn't have a lot of farmer's markets. You know, the city itself is, like, literally closing down, and so we're led to believe. And how do uh, the inhabitants of that community, those communities get fresh food, which uh, means uh, largely African Americans not having access to fresh vegetables and this kind of thing. And, this, and this, the students brought this to me. Another one is love deserts, talking about transgender people. I mean, and these young people care about uh, uh, you know, um, the, the, the transgender, transgender community being uh, women who are now men or in the tra- um, the tra- transitioning into being men or men who are transitioning into being women and the identification with with the with the, the uh, female species. I mean, the, it's, it just kind of blew my hair back what they were interested in. And at the same time, they, they uh, did not have a lot of information about the war, about the uh, uh, the war against women globally, you know, uh, you know, tra- sex trafficking. So we trade information. There's a lot of slam poetry. Um, we're moving now. We're, I just introduced them to Bob Kaufman. They didn't know who Bob Kaufman was. So, mm-hmm. so we've been uh, doing one of his poems, An Unholy Mission. But it it's, it's, uh, will be an event that uh, will culminate into a show where Idris will come in, as he does in South Africa, where as a co-director and as a musician, he'll add uh, rhythm and, and uh, movement to our words and to the movement. And the piece will look like, I think, I'm hoping that it will look like a, uh, a live uh, uh, museum uh, exhibition. There will be a series of, of uh, tableaus and tables, and we'll talk to, look at food, because, you know, Food, the food industry on the college campuses, I wasn't aware of how restricted it is as to, uh, you know, it's all contracted out to other companies. It isn't like young people can eat as much as they want anymore and take food back to their rooms. You have a certain you have a certain kind of food card, and you have to eat. Uh, you know, if they're serving chicken, you can't have one piece. You have to eat, you have to at least have two. So the students are worried about waste. And, and uh, you know, here in California, we talk about uh, uh, food, not bombs. But in uh, Wisconsin, there are places where you cannot take food that has not been eaten and share it with the poor. So these are their concerns. So it's, these are the new narratives of the 21st century. And out of this, I have them writing, and we just we just read Toni Morrison's playing in the dark. Uh, um, the Cornel West's uh, Race Matters. Um, and there's a new book uh, called Black Woman Solo, which they're reading right now to look at performance from a political perspective, to look at the minds of uh, of black women performers, because that's who I am, really. I'm an I'm an artist who's an activist, who is a performer, who's an autobiographical performer, and so it's uh, it's rich. It's very rich. It's and I'll be really curious as to what the script will look like, and and it's and everybody's very excited about Idris coming in May and and putting the kibosh on it with the music. Yeah. Wow, that sounds wonderful. Yeah, this is the University of Wisconsin at Madison, yeah. 
and uh, I've been here for the semester, so I braved the winter. <laughs> you know, yeah, you conquered the winter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow, wow. So, um, Lyrica? Yes. Yeah, yes, why don't you yes. tell us about, you know, sort of about your your, your travels, because um, it sounds like, you know, you're, you're sort of a, the tradition, and, and you are keeping the tradition, and you are, you know, one of those young people that Rodessa was speaking of. Uh, with regards, you know, to, you know, you're the ones that are going to be setting policy and, mm-hmm. you know, trying to make, make you know, make lemonade out of, you know, some of the mess <laughs> that, you know, the elders are yeah. causing, you know, right now. It's like, oh, my goodness, mm-hmm. oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, yes. Um I'm just fortunate to have a strong foundation to stand on. Um, I have great role models, and Idris, my cousin, and I have several other um, people who are out there, cousins who are out performing. And I know when I was over in um, China, I was there with another one of my family members. Her name is Paula Michelle, and um, she's an amazing singer, um, performer. And she told them about me, and so they said, oh, well, have her come over. So um, I ended up going to Shanghai and Hong Kong, wow. I would say, a little over a month and a half, uh, performing at the uh, Brown Sugar Bar. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> and, gosh. <laughs> yeah, brown yeah, Sugar Brown bar. Sugar, yes. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, but it was a really nice establishment. Um, um, we performed, I would say, um, three shows a night, six nights a week. Wow. And uh, it was just amazing the uh, the I guess the amount of uh, people who were coming in. It was so many people who were coming in from different countries, um, and it was like their stopover place was to come to the Brown Sugar Bar, well Brown Sugar Live. And so um, I mean it was a great experience. Um, it was very very crowded in Shanghai. I'd say that um, it's a uh, it's a, a culture and a, you know that you you just have to you would have to get used to it to live there mm. or be than that amount of time. So I was thankful to be there the time that I had, and um, I was happy when I made it back home. <laughs> but I did have Always. a lot of fun. Yes, I had a lot yeah. of fun when I was there. And, um, and you know, they really um, they they really cater, you know, and make sure that you're well taken care of over there. And so it was, it was a lot of fun, and I would definitely go back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So have, have you all been in China, um, Idris and Redessa? Have have your your travels taken you there as a company? Not no, yet. I I I traveled to Hong Kong and Greenland, uh, China, many years ago with a friend. Uh, in fact, we hooked up with the Urban Bush Women. But um, oh, um, nice. yeah, cultural odyssey has not been to. Have we? We've been to so many places. No, um, not to China yet. We haven't really yeah. the whole the the Asian part of. Uh, of course, we went. We've done a lot of things, and we've done things in Japan, mm-hmm. but yeah. not yeah. not to, not to China. Yeah, okay. I want to go to Japan. Yeah, yeah, yeah wow. Japan. Wow. Yeah, Japan was great. We, I, 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 you know, the, the time we we had such an amazing experience in Japan mm-hmm. because that was that was around me and Redessa when me and Redessa went to Japan. Of course, I've been to Japan otherwise, and she's been, been solo as well to Japan, and I've been solo to Japan. But when we went together, mm-hmm. we were doing that was right around the time we were doing our Ike and Tina Turner two-person oh. musical. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of St. Louis, but we did Ike, we did Ike and Tina Turner. Uh, wow. We had this very popular show called "I Think It's Going to Work Out Fine," and this guy decides that this this this, uh, this American businessman who lives in Japan, 
lived in Japan, decided that he wanted, he saw our show, and he decided he wanted to bring the show over as an experiment to, uh, he worked with a computer firm, so he was going to translate our entire script into yeah. Japanese, what's it called, hiragana? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. The, you know, the symbol, the Japanese language, and they were going to translate our script, and then they were going to take us to this huge convention center. We were going to perform, and they were going to have this, 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 uh, this, um, basically these subtitles on a screen with a movie being played uh, during our performance. With you know, we were being filmed and translated while we were doing it in the Japanese on the on the uh, on the, sc- on the screen. Yeah, it was pretty amazing, and and the the community the commute, computer company was NEC. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and uh, wow. if I remember correctly, they project. We had huge images of us as well as we were on stage, and that was really one very funny part where Idris's character, who was based on Ike Turner, was uh, uh, supposedly doing cocaine, I guess, and mm-hmm. the Japanese uh, didn't know what it was, so they had to write in Jap and and uh, hiragana. He is now taking drugs. <laughs> <laughs> That was a, that was a lot of fun. It was like oh, it was so it was so crazy. And just a little backstory: we 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 arrive into the Japanese airport, right? And we've got all our costumes and we instruments and for the stage. We arrive, and I had a bag, a little costume, like a little uh, costume bag. It was a little prop like bag, a, yeah, yeah. A prop, prop bag. bag. And you know, because the thing that I used to show that he was doing cocaine was like this little, uh, it was like little powder that. That was, uh, I think it was baby powder or something like that. No, no. <laughs> yeah. And so they went inside my little prop bag, and the, the custom guy thought that he had caught some drug smugglers. Yes. <laughs> the guy says, oh, we, we took it. He took me and us in his little room, and they were getting ready. To, they, they were reading us the riot act. No, you can't bring drugs into Japan, and now we're going to, you're going to be sorry for this and all that kind of stuff. And so we were trying to tell him, no, 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 this is this is just props. This is kabuki, kabuki. Seiji, seiji, seiji. Wow. And and so then he brought he brought his boss in, and they finally realized that it was not real cocaine. Well, they took it. Well, they while they were like while he was like dressing us down, they took it off, and I think they tested, and uh, they realized that it was not, it was not it was a long way from uh, cocaine. Yeah, it was, you know, but that was pretty, that was pretty. It was pretty scary, but now you look back, it was funny. But then it was like, oh my god! Right, it was, it was scary back. That was a cautionary tale. I mean, that that colored my my travel from then on. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Yes. Wow, wow. We're running a little bit over. I've got other guests in the studio, but um, okay. I really appreciate um, this wonderful conversation. Uh, I don't think, I don't think I've had you, um, you all. On together, you know, no. that I can think of, and this is just so fun having you all walk down memory lane with us and um, on, the, on the air. And I want to let our audience know that uh, Idris did offer uh, a couple of pairs of tickets for the um, for the Thursday was it Thursday Friday no Wednesday Thursday yeah. shows no Thursday and Friday shows Thursday and Friday show um, which is uh, mm-hmm. the third and fourth. Yeah, so um, so that offer still stands, even though I haven't gotten any calls. So you just have to, you know, send me a blog or Facebook or something. Let me know that you're interested, you know, with your name and your phone number so we can get back to you about the tickets. So do we have um, one pair or two pairs? How does it work in the There's going to be two pairs for Thursday and two pairs for Friday. 
Oh, you are so kind. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you coming to and, the gala? Uh, the Saturday night. Um, yeah, yeah I'm gonna try to. Um, yeah, um, I was gonna definitely come like earlier, like you know the uh, the Thursday, but I'll try to come back because I know the parties are really fun. That'd be yeah. fun, yeah. Yeah, 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 but it's going to really be awesome. Looking forward to seeing you, Lyrica. And so I'm going to play the music um, at the end of the show since I'm running into the next interview. So I'm going to play um, uh, the uh, the Pyramids mix, Idris, and, and Lyrica, I'll play um, your uh, your Blackbird Reloaded. Okay. Yeah, and I'll also <laughs> okay. play them next week as well, um, you know, leading up to the, um, the performance um, beginning Thursday. I'll play something on Wednesday. Okay. okay. Well, thank you, Wanda. Thank you so Thanks, much. Thanks, Wanda. Thank you so oh, much. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, safe travels, Lyrica and uh, Rodessa. We're looking forward to seeing yeah. you. And uh, yeah, we're having some pretty good weather. Lots of rain, which is wonderful. And then we no. have these, these warm. <laughs> yeah, we sure. Sun do. is out today. <laughs> sun is out today, so that's good. Yeah, the, yeah, oh, the yeah. sun is out, and we'll have the sun come out, you know, for you all when you come in, and then maybe uh, some more rain later. <laughs> I gotta, I'm gonna have to go and get my. I'm gonna have to go get my toes did. If the if the sun shining, I can wear Thank sandals. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. All right, all right, you all take all right. care. Thank you. Okay, bye bye. See you, well, America. See you later. Right. Peace and blessings. Okay, right. I'll talk take to you care. again soon. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye. Uh, good morning. Uh, <laughs> how are you doing? Uh, is this Joanna? Um, 
black and brown, and then I'll read your bios after that. Um, wonderful, wonderful piece that you premiered, um, I guess, um, in the East Bay uh, for the Black Choreographers Festival here and now. It's really, really powerful. So powerful, I saw it twice. <laughs> yeah, we had to come back because in, in both times I saw something different. Um, yeah, tell us about the commission from the uh, Equal Justice Society um, and, you know, the original music that uh, Mark Shelby uh, Orchestra um, created around the piece. And, yeah, it's just really wonderful, um, wonderful work that really brought to our attention what's happening with, you know, our brothers, uh, black and brown um, men specifically that are, literally dying, you know, in, in, in these prisons here in California and elsewhere in this country. Mm-hmm. Well, the piece was, um, as you said, commissioned by the Equal Justice Society, and they are a civil rights um, law firm based in Oakland and run by an extraordinary woman in force of nature, Eva Patterson. And um, Eva has long been interested in finding new ways of disseminating information, getting people um, clear and inspired to and motivated to work towards change. And um, one of her methods is incorporating art and commissioning artwork um, that helps tell, you know, these very important stories. So she's worked with Marcus Shelby for, I think, maybe 10 years. Um, quite a long time, but it had a very, you know, uh, uh, a, a really fruitful, um, you know, collaboration. And um, about when uh, the Monkey and the Devil was, but somebody from EJS came to our show, um, the Monkey and the Devil at Yerba Buena, and and uh, brought it to the attention of Eva. And one thing left lent to the next, and she said, I really want to um, bring you and Marcus together. And I, of course, you know, been an admirer of Marcus Shelby's work, but I'd never met him and had never obviously worked with him. So um, they were working on a campaign to um, bring attention to death penalty issues and um, were organizing a conference um, around these issues and featuring... A, at the time, a recent exoneree, uh, Anthony Graves, who was in Texas, uh, on Texas death row for 16 or seven, uh, 16 or 12, excuse me, 12 years of his 18 years in prison. So, um, anyway, uh, she brought us together with Anthony. We had a long, extensive interview with him. Um, she uh, brought in. Uh, Jeannie Woodford, who had been the warden at San Quentin for a number of years and who had overseen, I believe, four executions. Natasha Minster, who's been working on death penalty issues for many, many years, who's at the ACLU, and uh, Andy Love, who is a, an attorney. So, she, you know, the one thing about Eva is that she's able to um, access these incredible people and resources uh, to actually inform the work in a way that is really substantive and, and, you know, really, really powerful. So the piece premiered, um, the piece premiered uh, a few years ago, I think uh, December 2011 at Yoshi's as part of this conference. 
and um, Anthony was there, which was really, really wonderful and um, gave us tremendous feedback and actually so much of what we did interview. Um, so we've been, um, I personally have been very interested in continuing this work because I do think that this issue really needs as much attention as it can get. It's, 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 it's not that we have completely forgotten, but we, have, we are detached as a country to, um, you know, this issue and these, and these stories of, you know, real-life people on death row, and particularly um, this disproportionate number of people of color. Um, you know, black inmates make up 41, almost 42% of the death row population. Uh, it's, you know, it's completely out of balance. 80% of, you know, the victims are, are white, you know. So there's obviously a, um, you know, race issues that come into sentencing and an extraordinary disparity and um, inequity and in, in how all of that takes place. So um, we've been, you know, speaking with other lawyers and, and law schools and, and trying to find ways to collaborate and to bring their efforts or to support their efforts really um, by our performance of this piece. So that's where we are today and we've been basically, I mean, you know, in any artwork there's uh, always room for clarification and articulation of the the actual form and information, more information keeps coming to us, which really does um, shift the way that we're interpreting things. So we're really kind of working on developing the piece and honing it right now, and that's why we've been performing it. Uh, we've performed it three times over the last uh, six months, I think. Yes, we, we worked with um, mm -hmm. uh, San Francisco State in their... Um, their Department of Performing Arts and Social Justice, and again at Black Choreographers, as you mentioned, and now we're doing it at our studio. Um, and we're very excited about that because we're going to be joined by a fantastic panel of people who are working um, on, on these issues. And so really, really good and very, very strong. Yeah, and that's that's Friday, April fourth at eight p.m. Uh, the post-performance discussion is with uh, Michael Lawrence, Anna Zamora, and James Bell. You can tell us who they are. And and then on Saturday, there's another performance of Dying While Black and Brown, April fifth, two thousand fourteen at two p.m. And both performances and the panel are free. And they're going to be at the Zocco Studio, which is at 1777-1777 Yosemite Avenue, number 330 in San Francisco. And the phone number there is 415-822-6744, or you can go online to Zocco, Z-A-C-C-H-O.org. Um, uh, so, Jana, uh, Joanna, um, who are who are the uh, post-performance um, panelists? That are going to be okay. Um, well, the panel is going to be moderated by Michael Lawrence, and he's mm -hmm. the uh, executive director of the Habeas Corpus Resource Center, oh. um, okay. which is a, a California judicial branch agency 
um, that provides representation to death row inmates in the state and federal habeas corpus proceedings or habeas proceedings. And Anna uh, Zamora is a senior policy advocate for the American or ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union, and um, she was also the uh, former program director at Death Penalty Focus, which is a, uh, an organization that uh, Jeannie Woodford founded, uh, the uh, San Quentin Warden, or former San Quentin Warden. And uh, James Bell, who's the founder and executive director of the Burns Institute, um, which is a nonprofit that works with uh, in the field of juvenile justice and the reduction of racial disparity. Um, so they are an incredibly accomplished group. They're really in, uh, informed. They're active in um, trying to make change in, in policies, and particularly around race relations um, and you know racial disparities. And um, yeah, so I, I think that anyone who is interested uh, in this topic. Uh, this would be a great opportunity to to um, to take and to to learn from this discussion. Yeah, well, we should all be interested <laughs> in this yes, topic. That's right. Uh, we the... should all be interested. Exactly right. Mm-hmm. Well put. <laughs> Right, yeah. Well, you have a wonderful cast of of men who are dancing in this really hard piece, um, and two of whom are on the air with us. Um, Antoine Hunter has been a guest on the show many times. Um, He's an African-American deaf and hard of hearing, choreographer, dancer, dance instructor, model, actor, and poet. Uh, Antoine Hunter was born deaf and was raised in Oakland, California, and began dancing with Don James at Skyline High School. Uh, he studied West African dance with Master C.K. and Betty Lezek Poe uh, and studied at the Paul Taylor Summer Intensives in 2003 and 2004 as a full, as a full scholarship um, uh, student. And um, he's also performed with Savage Jazz Dance Company as a dance artist, performer, jazz instructor. He's performed with Nuba Dance Company, Sins Invalid, Sonic Dance, Theater of Epiphany Productions, Lorraine Hansberry Theater, Alayo Dance Company, which has their their gala coming up uh, beginning of uh, April, a Cat Willis Push Dance Company, which has something this weekend <laughs> at um, Moad, and Robert Moses Ken Dance Company, Sign Dance Collective, a.k.a. Oh, Antoine is just so famous, like everyone else who's <laughs> on the air today. <laughs> and then we've got Travis. Um, Travis, are you still with us? I am. I'm here. Okay, Travis uh, Santel Ro- Roland, whom I've, I've enjoyed uh, watching you um, at San Francisco State uh, and, and performance there um, in the uh, wonderful sort of salute and tribute to um, Dr. Um, Dr. Alberta. Alberta. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah, that was so wonderful. And I've seen you with Push Dance Company at Moad, okay. and also I've seen you dancing with Joanna's company multiple times. Um, the last yeah. one, besides um, dancing while uh, dying while black and brown, is when you all were um, in the, at the Oakland Museum at the uh, Equal Justice um, Society, um, looking at people. the. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, that was so okay. awesome. Oh, my goodness, that was There's great. There's a lot of fun for you, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Travis is an American interdisciplinary performing artist who holds a B.A. degree in both drama, 
popular, popular theater and dance performance and choreography from San Francisco State University, where he served as student artistic director for the University Dance Theater in 2005 and 2006 and was honored by the School of Music and Dance with the Award of Outstanding Student in Performance. His solo performance and choreography of Residual Sugar, 2006, was featured in the American College Dance Festival Association's uh, Southwest Regional Conference Gala Awards concert in January 2007. He began training in hip-hop dance, went on to study modern and contemporary forms, and is currently hired for projects under... uh, T R and then capital A V is M O and capital V E lowercase E S um, Travis moves. <laughs> I like to yes. have to see this uh, on, on on paper to be able to really appreciate. It. <laughs> it's moving on paper at you also. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and and you've danced a whole lot of places. And if you have a website, we could send people there. Do you have a website? I don't have a website. I just um, I use Facebook for that, so they can just put like forward slash Travis Moves or look mm-hmm. me up by my name, and I, I use that just more as um, advertisement for the arts and things like that. Okay, yeah, yeah, because uh, your your um, you know your your bio is really really impressive, but I want you to start talking about your character in this piece. So yeah, Absolutely. I want to get into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, to go ahead and get started, it, it was really nice to uh, drop into all this really serious, purposeful subject matter um, a few years ago, back in uh, 2011, um, of this current cast of the four of us, um, I'm, I'm the only one who was in it, um, in the original um, rendering of it when we performed it at Yoshi's with uh, Marcus Shelby's uh, uh, Orchestra Live, and um, we talked about a lot of, you know, really serious things, we, we focused a lot on the uh, conditions in, uh, in prison, and uh, a lot of the, the isolation, um, uh, somehow trying to like navigate your way through the everyday structured rigmarole of, of, of the mundane and, and how you can reach, well, you pretty much have to reach a piece of it, otherwise, you know, you won't survive. And uh, also how to somehow keep your your hopes up or keep some sort of incentive to keep going, um, because especially for people on death row um, with these life uh, and or life sentences, um, there's, there's really no end to it, and so you have to wake up in the morning and try to figure out how you're going to uh, get through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so how how do you sort of, I mean, because maybe you could describe the set for, for our audience that has, hasn't seen it yet. Because um, it's, sure. it's quite it's quite physical theater, dance, yeah. uh, performance. And, you know, as, as you were embodying this character, um, you're also like physically moving around a whole lot. I mean, you even have <laughs> altercations. Like, and I think you win. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's under debate. Jo- Joanna and, and and Matthew and I always, you know, argue about that in, in the form of a joke. But yeah, there um, there's there's a lot of uh, I guess you can call it technically, you know, stage combat in there. There's there's a fight scene um, that breaks out in the yard with uh, between Matthew's character uh, and mine. Um, it, it starts out vocal and then it turns uh, physical. Um, uh, the, the set is a huge um, steel-framed house that um, Wayne Campbell um, had built, and uh, it's painted orange, which is um, really fitting for uh, the whole, you know, orange jumpsuit attire in uh, in prison. And uh, 
it's a steel framed house. It's kind of you know kind of goes up at uh, at like a peak, like a roof. Um, it has two uh, kind of window frames in it. Um, it's it's one piece that kind of disconnects and um, we're able to uh, move it around and take it place to place um, by divide it in half. But it actually um, is just in one physical piece when we're uh, working with it. <clears throat> we uh, uh, we're all crammed in it. We use it as like a prison yard. Um, so the 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 perimeter of it. Uh, the border of it represents different things, and um, we'll have someone in it, um, and then two people on each side representing adjacent um, uh, prison cells. Uh, it's it's just big enough to um, be able to put all of our um, uh, individually our arms uh, our arms span out, and we can touch pretty much like the the windows on each side. So it kind of shows the uh, the claustrophobic, um, really confined uh, nature of what it's like in prison. Um, we our gargoyles at one point were uh, hurling ourselves, you know, off of it and like falling into it, like showing like being thrown uh, into this uh, situation. You know, we're looking upward and optimistically trying to like, you know, make our way out of it. Uh, we tip it sideways. We put it up on, on a corner and pirouette it around um, all, all sorts of fun stuff um, physically to do, but it actually is really applicable um, with how acrobatic and how physical um, uh, this, form of dance theater is um, to tell the story. And uh, Marcus Shelby's music is really, really driving. It kind of sets up a whole, uh, for, for me, uh, just so I don't know how to articulate it uh, in, in the form of like, music, but um, it, it sets up this, this unrest that um, is really driving. And there's a performer up there with these three other extremely physically capable and able um, uh, dancers, athlete, uh, men storytellers uh through you know physical theater and whatnot compliments and helps uh just like you know me having as a performer drop in and uh be able to kind of match the intensity of the music and also the subject matter <clears throat> and uh tell the story of um uh lots of these folks and you know anthony graves and and, and what it's like to have uh, gone through all that Mm-hmm. Yeah. Had you ever um, contemplated the, the subject matter before um, this piece? Uh, had you ever thought about, you know, um, the men who are incarcerated um, here in California? Because you can't kind of. It's kind of hard to not know that, you know, we since we incarcerate more people than some countries yeah. here in California. Yeah. Um, and then and then the threat, since you're a black man too, of. You know, right. of of this particular phenomena that you could be arrested. Doesn't matter if you did anything or right. not because of the body that you occupy. Exactly. Um, I I think about uh oh answer it in uh I guess sections um but the latter part about me feeling like I'm subject to being able to uh go down this road. Um, I think about it all the time. I know that uh me as a man of my stature, I'm, I'm 35 years old. I'm about 275 pounds of nimble athletic dancerness <laughs> and i um I'm, I'm a big guy and i know that when i get off work late at night because i work in restaurants and i um i work in uh the nightlife and clubs and stuff and and uh when i'm going to the bus or i'm walking to my car and you know a man of my stature walking down the street um i, I see people you know clutch their purses a little bit more tightly or you know do a double take and, and look back and see how far back from uh from them I am and um and I notice stuff like that. Um I also um have had in the back of my mind in any sort of potential uh uh altercations that, you know, I could have been in in any situations in my life, uh, which have you know, which come up from time to time because we're human. Um, I have to stop and like, you know, weigh out, hey, you know, if police roll up and they see someone my size with my skin color and my texture of hair, 
um, they're probably going to uh, <laughs> uh, possibly assume that, you know, I'm, I'm at fault regardless just because of the way um, America and um, a lot of folks with psyches are set up. Um, as for uh, whether or not I've um, given it too much thought, uh, this, you know, particular subject matter for Johnny Walt Black and Brown, um, before that, um, I did a piece uh, for Kendra, Kimberl Barnes back in 2010 called Home is That Way, Right? And, um, question mark. And uh, it, it had to do with, you know, a, a, a family member who's very close to her, um, who I portrayed in it, um, who spent time in uh, uh, in prison and, and was, was then out. And uh, so that was probably more like in my life artistically and uh, just personally the first time that I had ever really began to, like, dive into that kind of thought process. But um, uh, once, you know, Joanna so thorough and uh, she gave us, you know, video footage to watch and uh, uh, text to read about, you know, leading up to the, the 3Ds, leading up to a, an execution and how the whole, um, you know, structure of, of, of how things are run changes and, and shifts inside of the um, uh, the the prison just to you know keep the morale up so that you're less likely to have um, any sort of like unrest um, uh, in, in like a riot with the uh, the inmates and such and uh, we've had lots of conversations and pleasure to watch um, Antoine actually goes through a a lethal injection that um, Matthew and I uh, help facilitate with you know kind of uh, toggling back and forth between being inmates and being other characters um, in the piece and um, Antoine uh, goes through this uh, lethal injection and has this, you know, this statement that he's making, like while he's being strapped in, and it's really, really powerful. And, and as you know, Matthew and I are finished with the um, the action of strapping him in, and we're we're uh, just, you know, walking backwards slowly away from Antoine and leaving him there. Uh, he just, you know, goes into this series of like uh, like a breathing cycle, and um, sometimes it gets so intense that you know he'll he'll break down and, and cry, and we'll, and we'll we'll take a second. And we'll, talk about that and like what that is and um there's just a lot of really uh powerful images that are in here because joan is absolutely brilliant <laughs> and um super oh, smart and she can really get a, a lot of stuff out of us and um it's been a really growing uh it's been a very uh, growing experience um i think for all of us um i, I know for sure for me because it's not subject matter that i'm normally um you know, thinking about on a day-to-day basis, and so it's interesting to go in for you know three, uh, four-hour blocks of time for rehearsal, and and just you know check into that and like and go there for that moment. Yeah, yeah, wow, yeah. Thank you, um, Antoine. Why don't you talk about um, this piece and and your character, and and how you prepare for it because uh, it, it's really intense. Um, you know, watching you die on stage, your character. Well, uh, my character is, uh, his name is Charles Rapture, and he was executed March 26, 1999. Um, I feel the whole, I had to really investigate his life. Toronto had me in a place where no other choreographer has put me in um, to not just find the movement of the character, but also find out what is the instruction, you know, what is that chemical, uh, what is it, what is in the chemical that fit into their body before they die, you know, uh, 
what would the room smell like? What would the feel like to lay on that bed and have the wall coming in? You know, what is the the moment right before you die and close your eyes? What is happening in all of that process? You know, um, it's a really, really intense, scary place to go to, a very dark, dark. And she wanted to that it could be dark. Um, I really appreciate that she trusted us to, and walked along with us with just them because it's just really extremely dark, you know, place to go. Not just talking about that, but talking about what is happening to our people. And as I do these dance, the, the emotion builds up by the second, not by the minute, but the second. Uh, every time that we move and breathe, and I just can't imagine staying in one place 15 years waiting to die. Uh, I mean, five minutes is already scary enough to find out. You know, I mean, I'm going to die in this place. And I'll be free. But whether guilty or not, do I deserve to die? You know, my character also written that he had two choices. Either because he felt that he wasn't guilty for his crime, and so he had two choices. Either to live life as a guilty man or take death as a not guilty man. And I, I I feel extremely unfair because he's he's saying he didn't do it and it wasn't really enough to say that he didn't do it. I mean that he did it and so he had to die anyway. He'd rather die than be known as guilty. Mm-hmm. And it's really overwhelming for me to perform it. Because one, at the very last part, that I tried really hard to stay my line for the last part of the uh, of my thing is to stay, take care of my babies. And as a black father, myself, I can't see myself living this well. You know, my having my three year olds alone and. It's really hard to perform that every every time, you know. Um, and it's really sad that that's happening to our black men, to our black brothers, but you know, the people of color in general. And I really appreciate the process because I value my life more. I value I even bigger than before, and I try to find a way to express in my own way using the, to teach our community. And Joanna really pushes out the boundary, and let me tell you, I love dancing on the floor, because <laughs> we're eight feet in the air when we dance with her. Um, <laughs> and, and I, I, I have to tell you that it's worth it, you know, because I'm afraid of height. I used to be really afraid of height, but this message is so powerful that it's given me the bravery to perform this, you know. Um, 
I, I have to say that I hope that everyone gets this message uh, that if they share at the moment, uh, you know, they, they have outside the prison and that they try to move wisely. It's a shame that we have to be even more afraid uh, in our society, but I hope that it helps our society to be more educated about their life. You know, and I hope that me being in front of the barrier of black death evidence is really important for my deaf community to get it, which I appreciate Joanna, uh, Brandy, uh, interpreter for Friday night for the for the discussion so that the, my deaf community have an understanding about this uh, performance as well, because I feel that my deaf people we can get behind sometimes, you know, especially my black deaf people. We get even more behind sometimes of knowing about what is happening right here in our own home, in our own society. And so it's, I, I have to tell you that it's a very overwhelming dance and it should not be overlooked at all and that this should be performed in, in many places. These brothers who I'm dancing with are, are extremely deported. You know, and we go through the process as one. You know, and a lot of times when I join dance companies, there's a lot of competition about uh, being an individual, but we go as unity as one, and that we need to move together as one. You know, I'm the only one deaf, and many of them that didn't know sign language, but. I appreciate Joanna enforcing her communication with me that she wants me in the process, you know. And I tell you that I grew. I grew so much from this. Uh, you know, it's, <laughs> I have to sometimes remind me that I'm not Charles Ratchet because I, I fell really deep, uh, you know, to try to be him, to let other people know that these are real people, you know. <sighs> yeah. Wow, yeah. Thank you, Antoine. I was just thinking when you were speaking that, um, you know, the anniversary of, of uh, Mr. Baxter's um, execution was just yesterday. It's like, wow. Yeah. Then, um, let's see, 1999, you said. So, you know, I want to pour, you know, a libation for him, you know, uh, symbolic and verbal, and say, Ashe, um, for his life, um, that you all are are using, um, bringing back to life and using as a, as an educational tool. Um, yeah, this thing around innocence and, and guilt and, mm -hmm. and, uh, and you know what what we do as citizens, you know, through our courts and our legal legal um, uh, institutions around around innocence and guilt. And and I just wanted to ask you all, um, uh, Joanna, uh, Travis, and Antoine, if mm -hmm. um, well, if you could speak to the whole idea of of freedom and and you know in in you know when you're thinking about uh, how you really probably contemplate freedom when you're not. You know when you're physically locked up, but then Antoine, you mentioned, um, you know, to um, to move more wisely. You know, you're talking about the disabled community, and I was wondering, 
Joanna and, and Antoine, if you could talk maybe like what what is the incidence of people with disabilities, you know, in, you know, incarcerated, you know, among the, the black and brown community. Uh, but just in general, I know a lot of times people, like I think someone right now is, if he hasn't already been executed, someone who um, uh, is disabled or mentally ill was going to be executed or he might have been executed. But just the whole idea of, you know, sort of what is that incident, I think it's really great, you know, that, Antoine, that you embody all these communities within your one self. You know, you're a black man, you're a father, and you are a man who, um, you know, who uh, whose first language is American Sign Language. And that, was a lot. that was that was many questions. I heard Joanna. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, yeah, as you as you mentioned, um, as you mentioned, Wanda, there are you know there are many different. Uh, I don't really have the statistics on you know what the disability, uh, you know what numbers and what types of disabilities make up the, the population, and and that's a really interesting question. Um, but I do know that there are plenty of, of people who are um, who have. Uh, mental disabilities who are on death row and in prison and are not really being considered. There are people who actually develop um, mental disabilities while particularly on death row because it is um, the conditions are such that they break you down so radically that, you know, some people just never return. So, you know, they, they, they never, you know, to, to use this term loosely, come back to their senses. Um, Anthony, Anthony mentioned at one point that somebody a few cells down from them actually pulled out their own eyes um, because they had they had just gone mad. Now, whether or not this person started with mental disabilities or not is I, I really don't know. But there, you know, as I said, I mean there are plenty of people who 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 enter the prison system, who are, you know, severely disabled but never get the proper representation. And that's that's a really big part of it. Um, you know, people are not getting the proper representation. Evidence is not getting into the courtroom that would exonerate these people. Um, now, you're seeing that more people are being exonerated right now because of the of DNA evidence. And... You know, that's relatively, you know, in the course of things, you know, recent. But it's still difficult. You know, it's still very, very difficult to to get all of those things in place. So, um, and in places like Texas, you know, it's, it's you know, the parole or the, the appeals board is so brutally strict. They They... Their mission is to execute, and they execute, you know, on an average of like once a week. Wow! You know, it's it's, it's a lot. <laughs> it is a lot. So, um, I, I I well, that's this is off topic, but I know there are other parts of this question um, that you wanted to have answers. Mm, yeah, yeah. I was um, just thinking when Antoine was speaking about, uh, you know, the whole notion of of freedom. 
um, mm-hmm. you know, sort of, I mean, that's that's an immediate, uh, I mean, we think about that immediately, you know, the dichotomy between one minute you're, you're, you know, like you have this mobility in, in, you know, in, you know, in the society, and the next minute you don't. I mean, you do have a mobility, mm-hmm. but it's it's extremely uh, limited, and and, it, mm-hmm. and it's not something you can control anymore. Whether you're in the cell, or you're outside mm-hmm. of the cell in the yard, or wherever you are, depending on you know, sort of the level of incarceration, the level of lockdown you have, you don't control mm-hmm. any of it anymore. No, you don't. And, and not only that, I just wanted to add something here, you know, because there are all these different, you know, there are people who, um, you know, obviously who are in isolation when you come into the, when you were first waiting trial, you know, you, you know, Anthony spent four years in in jail, you know, so that's that's kind of a different environment. And um, there, you know, you're in the cell 23 hours a day and you come out only for an hour to exercise, and often you're exercising in isolation in a cage. Some folks, like in Pelican Bay, you know, where, you know, we just, there was just a hunger strike. Um, these people don't really see very much at all. You know, they don't really see sunlight. They're in these, these concrete boxes. Um, you know, and yet there is this extraordinary will to live and survive and communicate and despite all of the, like, you know, the, the kind of traumatic experience and the extremely harsh conditions, people are communicating. They are yelling. Prison is really noisy. You know, they are people are yelling across halls, yelling out of these small little openings, in the you know uh, the, their uh, windows, trying to reach out to somebody, and this a whole notion of the the house thing, which I I thought was a really interesting thing about you know here you are in your cell, and you know we are we are an animal that nests, we create home, um, and how do you do that? How does all of that energy get transferred and transformed in this type of environment? Um, you know, it's it's very very complex and conflicted. Um, and as I said, you know, the way that prisons are, they are really they're not meant for any type of rehabilitation. I mean. Some cases, I mean, I'd say, you know, there are lots of programs. There's yoga programs, like in St. Quentin's, but you know, like if you go down into uh, Louisiana or you go into Texas, these places are, they are really, really cruel environments. I mean, not to say that our, you know, St. Quentin is not cruel, it is. Um, but it, it is it is overwhelmingly uh, brutal. And and cruel and inhumane. I mean, it really is. It's inhumane, and I don't think that people understand that. You know, they think that. I don't know what most people think at this point. Is like they go off to prison and you know they're locked up, but it's you know they get three meals a day and they're getting health care. I mean, they're not. They're getting health care. I mean, it's, there's there's so many problems. Um, there's so much overcrowding and so much decay. It's 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 really um like I really can't stress enough how 
how abusive, how violent, and how how brutal these environments are. And the fact that we, as the civilized, you know, in quotes, nation, are participating in in this, you know, like very few countries in the world, is is shocking and shameful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Travis. Yes, I'm here. Yeah. Do you have any comments about um, any of the uh, issues that I, I raised? Uh, quite a few of them um, <laughs> uh, on redirect. Yeah. That or anything that Antoine mentioned that you want to um, uh, talk about? Um, I just wanted to guess. You know, reiterate a little bit more um, of, of what I was saying earlier, and also maybe piggyback a little bit off what they were saying, just with the uh, the inhumane you know aspect of it, and and, and how that is as as a performer to to drop into that. It's mm-hmm. it's a really dark place to go, and um, we go there really quickly. Um, it kind of starts out like uh, uh, the engine you know begins right off the bat as soon as like the lights go up or the curtain goes up, and um, all of a sudden we just have to like you know drop into that that world and it's it's it is so abusive and it is so inhumane and um so much so that it it's easy for it to feel really foreign to people like us who are not there and for us to forget about that um or just simply not know it um from the get go but um yeah it's it's i think you know having discussions like this uh with with you and all of us um getting getting the word out and uh putting on art um and talking about it that way um, you know, through through the storytelling of, of art and dance, um, it keeps them on uh, in getting panelists for post show discussions and such. Um, it keeps the uh, the topic out there and it keeps it in the minds of people. And um, hopefully, you know, with like uh, movements like uh, the Equal Justice Society is going for, um, uh, it, it can be you know reformed um, in some sort of way. But um, we, we can only hope that because it, it seems like you know. Ways are pretty set when it comes to uh, the correctional uh, the correctional institutions. Yeah, fortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, Antoine. Um, one of you wanna you wanna uh, talk a little bit more. I really uh, wanted you to um, to to comment on if you know of sort of um, uh, sort of do you know of because I, I never hear about. Uh, people that are hard of hearing or or deaf in prison. I, I know probably people that are hard of hearing or deaf are incarcerated, but I you know never hear about sort of accommodations like how do you communicate in 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 this type of you know environment. And oh. also, I was wondering if you um, second question, if you have any uh, uh, like any did you have any personal experience? you know, with family members or anything like that before you took on this particular role in this piece, Dying While Black and Brown? Um, I, I, I have distant family, the part of the Gorilla gang members in the prison. Um, there's kind of, you know, big organizations that have been a part of Black Panthers that taking care of each other in prison. Um, I forgot what state, though, yeah, but 
doing when I started to dance, I started to ask my family to do some research, and I was learning, wow, I have some people in there. Uh, things I can't really mention on here. But I would tell you, I remember when I was 11 years old, walking uh Fruitvale Station area in the shopping mall. Um, I would just walk past a little small Stateway and police station, and I remember having a wonderful day, good musical, and then suddenly 15 cops on me. I mean, I was really skinny, and 15 big cops putting me on the ground, my face against the concrete and everything. And I couldn't understand what anybody was saying because I'm deaf hard of hearing, you know. And um, they picked me up, they pulled my wallet, they didn't say anything to me, they were talking to each other, and then suddenly they got my wallet or whatever, and then they said, oh, this is not the right person, and then they let me go. And I was shaking crazy to pee in my pants on you know, I had the courage to walk over there and say, you guys did wrong, and then I ran out. <laughs> I ran out, you know. Um, most deaf people, that I, uh, because I'm the president of the Black Deaf Advocates, I find a lot of things going on. And so I found out a lot of deaf people, when they first get in prison, the first thing they take away is your hearing aid. If that's like taking away your glasses, they help you see what's going on. So they they don't get interpreters right away. They get their hearing aid removed so they can't make phone calls or anything like that. TTY, somebody come get them. They immediately are guilty on the crime scene, immediately, without anything, anyone to defend to them, not proper things. I can't even imagine um, those feelings in prison to be like that. You take away my hearing aid, no interpreters, the cops are yelling and moving around. You know, they don't know sign language, and they're asking me if I, did, if I did it or not, and, I, and I'm scared. I just say yes to everything. And then I say, hey, yeah, he said yeah. He confessed it, throw me in prison. You know, so... Um, you're taking your hearing aid away in prison. <laughs> How can you defend yourself? You know, so it's a very it, it really makes death for hard of hearing people even more isolated because there's something that they use in daily life to uh, to is taken away from them to process. You know. So it's a really scary thing. I know a lot of deaf who still use the hearing aid for help them feel the vibration of the sound to just to get the awareness of what's going on, you know. Uh, so it's a very isolated place. A lot of times I work with Deaf Hope, which is uh, rape uh, for a victim that's been raped. A lot of times when they go to the police station and somebody raped them, they immediately say, because of their death, that it didn't really happen to them. So I can't really imagine what's happening in the prison courthouse. Um, but I, I have to tell you that this is why I want Joanna P. to be in our deaf community so that we don't miss it. You know, I really appreciate, you know, jo uh, Joanna letting me be a part of this, uh, you know. And that these guys, you know, I have big respect for them because even when they pick up the house frame pole, it's so heavy, 
and we're trying to dancing on top of that, I was like, whoa, wow, it's just so heavy, it's just so hard, not just dancing around it, but picking this up. And this heavy feeling of the pole is what you have to feel for 24 hours of your life. I'm like, wow, you know, this. we need human contact to stay sane in tea. We need our sense to, to be you know, connected with the world and all we feel is the concrete and the pole and the heavy weight. Wow, you know. Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you, Antoine. Um, well, in our closing minutes, Joanna, I um, wanted to give it back to you. Um and I want to let our audience know, because I didn't actually introduce you properly, that you are your artistic director of Zaco, and you relocated to San Francisco Bay Area from New York in 1980 and co-founded Zaco Dance Theater. And your creative work uses natural, architectural, and cultural environments as point of departure for movement, aspiration, and narrative. And your work involves in-depth research to the history and character of sites and also integrate aerial flight and suspension as a way of expanding dancers' spatial and dynamic range. Um, and and you you know you've got lots of awards and your work has been everywhere. But I wanted to ask you in closing if you could speak to how um, this work is a you know is real center central to the overall mission of Zako because the piece that you did um, the last time that I came to your studios looked at sort of the two-ness um, that is is. Um, Explored in uh, W.B. Du Bois's Souls of Black Folk. Um, I was wondering if you could, and, and within that piece, you had a video of, you know, Trayvon Martin, um, you know, his last, you know, when he bought the, the candy from the store and he was eating his Skittles, and then also the the, the murder of, uh, or the killing of, of um, uh, Kenneth Harding right there in Bayview Hunters Point. So if you could you could speak to how this work, Dying While Black and Brown, um, is sort of right in keeping with, with the overall mission of your your theater company, dance theater company. Well, um I guess that's like a little bit of a difficult question in terms of what the in terms of what our you know, our corporate mission is it's, um but I think so much of what we do is in response to what's happening around us, either that be, you know, what's, hap- what's happened historically, what's happening environmentally, um, and what's happening socially. And I feel like, uh, particularly you know, since we've been in Baby Hunter's Point for 20-something years, um, what, what we're experiencing um, in our community is is really compelling us to be more aggressive uh, in our storytelling, and um, I think all of us are. I don't know if we would consider ourselves, you know, social activists or political activists, but I think that we are all, including all of the performers here, and certainly people who work at Saco, um, we are all uh, committed to being. Um, responsible citizens <laughs> and speaking out where we see injustice um, mm-hmm. in whatever way that we can. And some of these 
issues like, you know, here in prisons, um, you know, this this tuness, this how we as African Americans and people of color negotiate and navigate through all of the various systems of this country, um, you know, being having to deal with two identities, the, the, the true identity of who we are and then how we're perceived as being people of color um, in this country, I think is, um, I think that it's, it's really important to talk about. We, we there, there are no other people who are change-making. We are the change-makers, you know, and together um, we can actually make things happen. So, trying to create a critical mass, trying to support people who are on the ground in whatever way that we can to even just think about um, some of these things. You know, think out of the box, acknowledging that these, that, that, you know, what our realities are, I think is really important. And if it satisfies the mission of our organization, that's really great. I mean, you know, we're an organization that's doing work, you know, performance work or whatever. We have something that's a slightly more abstract um, as a mission statement. But I think our mission as as citizens and as human beings on this planet, and this work is is actually um, supportive in, in what, what our goals are, you know, to be... Uh, really active, integrated, and to be speaking out and speaking up about things that are really important um, to our community. So. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you again for joining us. And, and perhaps um, maybe you could uh, tell our audience um, about, you know, maybe give them the information about the uh, performance, which is uh, coming up this coming weekend, um, the free yeah. performance. Sure. Um, the performances are Friday, April 4th, and Saturday, April 5th. The April 4th performance is in the evening at 8 p.m. Saturday's performance is at 2 p.m. Uh, all of the, both of the performances are free. Um, you can get more information at our website, uh, Um or you can call us at 415-822-6744. Friday night's performance um, will be followed by a panel discussion and also a small reception. And again, it's free. Um, please, uh, I think that the show is um, appropriate for uh, young teens and up. Uh, um, so please come and join us. Uh, the performers are really, really stellar. They are so powerful, and I'm very, very proud and grateful to be working with them. Okay. So I, yeah. I, I really recommend uh, really witnessing their work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do as well. And I want to thank you so much, Travis uh, and Antoine, for joining thank us today to talk about the work. Us. Yeah, and sure. uh, look forward Anytime. to seeing you again this weekend. Awesome. Thank you so much, Wanda. We really appreciate your support. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> All right, you take good care. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. 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 So again, bye, Antoine. So I want to mention again that um, we're speaking to... Um, Joanna Haygood, um, 
uh, Antoine Hunter and uh, Travis Santel Roland, uh, Roland and uh, they were speaking about dying while black and brown, and that's going to be a wonderful um, opportunity for uh, community dialogue next week uh, in San Francisco at the uh, Zocco Studio, 1777 Yosemite Avenue, number 330 in San Francisco. And you can uh, find out more information at Zocco, Z-A-C-C-H-O dot O-R-G. And uh, yeah, you don't want to miss miss this uh, this really stellar uh, performance featuring uh, Antoine Hunter, Rashad Pridgen, Travis Santel, Roland, and Matthew Wicket. So really, really great that um, Zako is is going to be um, performing this again and uh, mounting this again, and and offering it to to the community, which is really fabulous. And this weekend, also at Zako, Gregory Dawson uh, and Dawson Dance uh, Dawson Dances is presenting uh, a piece in the studios March 28th, which is tonight, and tomorrow, March 29th, at 8 p.m. And uh, Gregory Dawson was also uh, on the air uh, speaking about his work that was a part of Black Choreographers Festival here and now, the 10th anniversary season. And uh, he had—he was almost like a featured artist because he had a lot of work <laughs> uh, featured in, in this particular year, Black Choreographers Festival. He also had a piece that uh, he he mounted on Robert Moses' Ken, and that was simply phenomenal. And he is also going to be at Zako on March 30th, and they're going to be filming, and that's also a fundraiser. So you can also visit... Um, the uh, the website for uh, Dawson Dances, or you can also visit uh, zako.org to find out more about this weekend's performances of Gregory Dawson um, Company because they are they are really awesome. And I don't know how to pronounce the uh, the name of the piece, so I won't mess it up. But actually, it's uh, site specific, and he created the piece uh, based on. The, uh, the Zako Studio uh, architecture, and so it's, he told me that it's just outstanding, and I don't want to miss it. So I'm trying to figure out how I can see it, but I'm not quite certain yet. <laughs> so you all might have to tell me about it, and I'll just have to feel sad. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm going to close the show with a couple of pieces. Uh, we're going to play a piece by uh, Larika. Uh, who is our guest, who is going to be coming, uh, visiting uh, the Bay Area for the 35th anniversary of Cultural Odyssey next weekend. No, actually, yeah, next weekend as well, uh, where next week is going to be so busy. Uh, and so we're going to play her Blackbird Reloaded, and uh, and then we're going to close out with uh, the Pyramids mix. And I wanted to give you a couple of other announcements about some theater that you don't want to miss. Again, African American Shakespeare Company is uh, this is the closing weekend for Medea. Really stellar performance at the African American Art and Culture Complex's uh, Burial Clay Theater, and so they have performances tonight. No, actually, not tonight. Um, I think it's Saturday and Sunday, Saturday evening and Sunday afternoon. And uh, so, it's, but it's closing this weekend. And uh, once on this island, which is at the 
Theater Works, and it's at their uh, Lucy Stern Theater in Palo Alto. They are just doing a fantastic job with this wonderful musical that was inspired by uh, a novel written by Rosa Guy. Uh, and it, or maybe Rosa Gee. I'm not exactly certain how she pronounced her last name because she's from Trinidad, Tobago. Um, late um, writer uh, who was real, real instrumental in the formation of black theater, the black theater culture here in America. Yeah, she goes back like that. <laughs> and yeah, 1925 to 2012. Sister had a long trajectory of art activism. So, so anyway, I'm going to start with uh, Larika and uh, end with the pyramids. Baby, now I've 
love me I'm still your sunshine I'm sorry that I messed up That was only one time I see you being distant I insist we get caught up Come a little closer So I can warm that heart up L-O-V-E letter man You won't find a better man I meant that I'm a better man That will treat you better than before Give me another try today It breaks my wings Hearing you say Fly away
was the Pyramids remix, and uh, we're referencing the um, 35th anniversary performance uh, and uh, gala at the African American Art and Culture Complex celebrating Cultural Odyssey's 35th anniversary. That is going to be so wonderful, and that is next week, bro. Fourth, fifth, and sixth. Uh, it's Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And uh, let me let me make sure I get the dates right because I would hate for you to go over to the African American Art Complex and it's like, oh, I heard it on Wanda's Picks, and no, it's actually uh, the third, fourth, and fifth. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Saturday is going to be a gala, and it's going to be simply awesome. Starts at six because you're going to see a uh, excerpt of a film about. The Medea Project, Theater for Incarcerated Women, specifically their their work around HIV and AIDS um, uh, prevention education, uh, and uh, and uh, yeah, it's going to be just simply phenomenal. Everything that they do is great with the uh, the healing uh, orchestra and I think closing out with with the pyramids. It's going to be really really phenomenal, and a really happy Rodessa is going to be at a fly-in from Wisconsin for her gala. So it's going to be great. And, you know, she's got keys to San Francisco. She's got keys to the city. So that's going to be really great. And then also next weekend, uh, <laughs> uh, Friday, Saturday afternoon, um, is the uh, Dying While Black and Brown, the Zako Dance Studio in San Francisco in the Bayview Hunters Point area. So I also want to let you know about a concert this weekend, Saturday, the uh, Ajitan and Barbara Hunter Quartet are performing at the 57th Street Gallery, 5701 Telegraph Avenue, right there at 57th Street and Telegraph in Oakland. And it's uh, 8.30 p.m., as most of the shows are there, till 11. And Al Stanford is going to be on Congas, uh, joining the quartet as a special guest. And they're featuring vocalist Sheba Maceo. Uh, uh, and so that's going to really be nice. They're going to be playing a playing a wide variety of music, and you can contact the gallery at five one zero six five four six nine seven four five one zero six five four six nine seven four for more information about reservations as well. Tickets are a, a not too um, bad. Uh, they're just fifteen dollars, and always uh, the um, uh, the Fifth Century Gallery keeps the price of uh, of the concert uh, at an affordable fifteen dollars. Um, I think I think I don't think I've ever seen anything less than fifteen unless it's free. <laughs> so we see the free or fifteen dollars, and so you can't can't beat that. And that's live music, you know, every weekend there, and it's really really phenomenal. And haven't seen the Ajitan and Barbara Hunter Quartet in a while, and so when I saw this email, I was like, oh my goodness, that's going to be so great see what I can rearrange to be able to get over there. So um, so anyway, thank you so much for tuning in for another edition of Wanda's Picks. We'll be back on at 7 o'clock on Wednesday. Uh, and I think Wednesday will be in April then. Um, I think it's actually April 2nd. Yeah, wow, April, my goodness. And we're getting all this lovely rain. Um, you know, really happy about that. Can't, can't, can't get too much rain here in California. You know, we grow a lot of food here. 
and the rain is just so wonderful. We've been getting a lot of water uh, since, um, you know, these various rituals around around the water, you know, World Water Day on Saturday, and then the ritual for the waters uh, here uh, in locally uh, continuing. This was our fourth, and that was Sunday at the Pena Culture Center, and that was just a wonderful, wonderful gathering. And then, you know, wow. The rain starts like right away, so it's just real beautiful. It started on Monday, and we had a lot of rain on Monday. We had some rain on Tuesday. Had rain yesterday, um, Thursday. We've been having rain all this week, so hopefully it's raining where you are, because um, you know can't get enough of that water on this planet, particularly in the areas that are have been real arid, and we haven't had much of a much of a winter. And now here we are in the spring. <laughs> So thank you again for joining us and um, thinking about maybe going out with Jabari Ali. I heard from uh, Damu Sudi Ali that the concert last Saturday was phenomenal. Yes, uh, first edition just really threw down. And they actually, I think they might actually be performing in, in April at the 57th Street Gallery. So look out for that. <laughs> 